Welcome to our gathering tonight. Here we share stories of ordinary people who have experienced extraordinary things. Sit back, relax, and warm yourself by Jim Harold's Campfire. Welcome to the Campfire. I am Jim Harold, and I'm so glad to be with you today. And it is a red letter day here at the Spooky Studio because this is the 500th episode of the Campfire. So to all of the listeners, all of the storytellers who have told thousands of stories, true stories on the show over the last 12 years, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. We wanted to bring you this week the best of the best. And we thought, who else to turn to but our listeners? So we went to our virtual campfire group on Facebook. That's at virtualcampfiregroup.com. And we said, hey, pick out some stories for the 500th episode. And what I loved about it, usually for the anniversary shows that we do every year, I'll pick some stories. This time, we mined the wisdom of the group and got some stories, frankly, I had forgotten about plus some old favorites I would have thrown in. So it's just a great show, and it clocks in at over two hours, so I think you're going to enjoy it. So I'm going to shut up (laughs) and let the stories do the talking. Welcome to the campfire. Michael is on the line from Los Angeles, and he has, well, one of my favorite kinds of stories. It starts with an estate sale, so let your mind wander. Michael, (laughs) welcome to the show, and tell us what happened. Uh, Thank you, Jim. Well, my wife and I moved into a townhouse in West Hollywood, uh, built in 1921, and when we moved in, we decided we wanted older furniture to sort of fit with the setting. So we had a lot of estate sales and ended up at one and uh, picked up a few things, some chairs, etc. And uh, another item that I had wanted was way overpriced. And um, the woman holding the estate sale took my card and I took hers. And she says, well, you know, if this the sale ends tomorrow, if this is still around, you know, we can negotiate. So the next morning I was talking with my wife and I was like, nah, there's no way we can afford to go get these other things. And then the woman called and she's like, Hey, it's, it's Linda from the estate sale. I'm like, Oh, Hey, she goes, uh, I've got the, the, the things you wanted and, um, I'll give them to you for 50 bucks. I was like, you wanted 500. She says, yeah, I know, but there's this guy here who's offering me nothing. And he's being very disrespectful about my great grandmother's stuff. So, I'll give both of these things to you for 50 bucks flat. Yeah. Probably you were a nice guy. You were respectful. She figures I got to get rid of it anyway. Why not? Yeah, exactly. And, um, I'm, I'm trying to, there's so many details. I'm trying to just pare it down a little bit. Uh, but then she says, well, if you can come get those chairs, Mm -hmm. I also have a, a very large antique mirror. If you can get it out of here, it's yours. And then, you know, horror movie warning. I think you're the one that's supposed to have it. (laughs) <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I should know from watching these movies not to take such things. So anyway, we, I had a friend help me get this mirror over and it's, uh, say about five feet by three feet and just far too heavy to hang on an almost hundred year wall. So I had it sort of sitting on its side in the corner. So it's like a full length mirror and it's, it's very, it's kind of damaged. Um, it has a, a gold wood frame. It's the date on the back is like 1891 or something. 
Um, but it's damaged. Looks like it's out of a Roger Corman movie. So of course I had to have it, but I had it sitting up in the corner trying to figure out how we were going to mount it. And at the time, my wife and I were working opposite schedules. I would get home from work at like one thirty or two in the morning and she would have to get up and leave by four 30. She can't get up in the morning. So I would come home and sleep for about an hour then get up and make coffee, have a cup of coffee with her and then sleep on the couch with the cat until I could get up and I was sleeping in the room where this mirror was. And one morning I was laying there and all of a sudden there was this big jolt, like the couch shook mm. and Los Angeles thought, Oh, earthquake. Yep. And I was going back to sleep, but I kind of opened my eyes and there was like this crowd of people standing in my living room. Whoa. Uh, and they were kind of blurry except for one man who was uh, just sort of standing there with his arms, hands behind his back, looking at me um, wearing, you know, really dated looking clothes. He looked kind of dusty and he's looking at me and I'll, uh, I'll edit the expletives I use. <laughs> but I'm like, what the, what the blank you doing in my house? What, what expletive expletive? And he looked at me and we started this conversation, but it was weird because his mouth didn't move, but I was getting information from him. He goes, we came with a mirror. Ooh. Like, what are you talking about? He goes, we came with the mirror. We like to have parties. We loved to dance. Dang. We loved to watch ourselves dance in that mirror. And I'm like, what the... Blank, blank, blank. So what? What? And so he takes a step towards me and he leans in kind of close and he says, we never got our last dance. And then he leans in really close and he says, that's where you come in. Oh, and I like <laughs> swung my arm and I'm sitting up on the couch and the room is empty. And of course, I'm like, Wow, that was the coolest dream I've ever had. That would be a great script. I should write this down. It's Los Angeles. Everything's a script. I was like, this would be a great script. What a great dream. Oh, my goodness. And was thinking it was just that. Well, then my cat that was sleeping sat up and looked towards the mirror and started hissing. And then looked around the room and bolted upstairs and hid for the rest of the day. I was like, okay, that's odd. Um, over the next next few weeks... I would be at work and my wife would text me and be like, wait a second, are you home? I'm like, no. She goes, there's someone upstairs walking around in the office because we had moved to the mirror upstairs. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, she's like, it sounds like there's a bunch of people up there. So for the next, I mean, things kind of went on with it for uh, a, a long time. I was like, okay, this the sounds, it's probably just echoes from adjoining apartments, maybe the building next door. The sound echoes off and it's, you know, trying to write it off. And then things started to get, I guess you'd say, darker. Mm. I don't know how much detail to go into. No, feel uh, free. This is a tremendous classic story. So if we run a little long, it's okay. Go ahead. Uh, okay. I, I think it... It, there were a lot of weird coincidences um, that sort of popped up uh, at one of my one of my jobs. I was working at this private club that was, you know, just chock full of artifacts, and I was serving a private party. 
and the place I worked at was supposedly haunted. And there was a guy sitting in one of the rooms and we started talking. I said, well, if you want, I can tell you about, you know, sort of the, the ghost stories of this place. He goes, oh, I already know. What's happening at your house? I'm like, what? Because you have something happening at your house? I'm like, okay, weird that you would know that. And started telling him what had happened with this mirror. And he's like, well, you know, I've been doing sort of interviews and investigations of the Laurel Canyon area of Los Angeles for about 30 years. And there's so much activity in this place. But I'm really curious with that mirror and what was said. I have an old phonograph record. I would like to... If you're open to it, I could come over, bring a bunch of phonographs, and we could film and see with some of the equipment if it, what happens when different music is played, since what was said to you seems to somehow relate to music. Um, interesting idea. Sadly, it never came about. Then a few years later, while working on a project, I met someone who was a ghost hunter, and I told him what was happening. He said, oh, great. I'll come over. I'll bring my equipment. And I'm thinking, okay, I've never done this before. I think all, I, I'm still, despite everything that's happening, thinking this is this is my imagination. This is side effects from stress, exhaustion. Uh, you know, maybe depression. I'm you know I'm hallucinating these things to try to justify something else. So he comes over and sets up all this equipment, and you know, we're recording and he's got a geo phone and EMF pumps, and EMF detectors and all this other stuff. I have no idea what it is. And he's here for a few hours and goes home. I didn't hear from him for a while. So I called him and I was like, so did you go through the recordings? He's like, yeah, I did. We need to talk. And I was like, so I'm hoping you're telling me that nothing came up. I'm just tired. Maybe I should see a therapist and there's nothing here and it's all just normal. He's like, no, it's quite the opposite. I've been doing this oh a long my. time. I've never had so much come up so quickly. I was like, well, what did it say? Because I can't tell you or I won't tell you. I'm going to come over. I'm going to bring my laptop. Make sure your wife is home. She wasn't here when we did the investigation. I'm going to play you the first thing that was said. And then I want you to decide if you want to continue. He's like, I've got, he says, so far, I've counted nine different distinct voices that came through on the voice recorder. Wow. And some strange video anomalies. So he comes over and he sets up the laptop. He says, okay, I'm going to play the first thing. I'll play it once. Don't say anything. I'll play it a second time. And when I point to you, I want you both to tell me what you hear. And then I'm going to play it a third time. And I'm going to tell you what I wrote down. I'm not going to tell you beforehand because then you're just going to hear that. So he plays the first thing and it was right when we started. You hear him say, hi, this is, I won't give his name, Michael. It's such and such a time at this date. This is the address. Um, is there anyone here with us? And it was immediate. There was just this really, really clear, really calm voice. And it just said, we're all demons. Yikes flat out and my wife and i looked at each other and he played it again just what did you hear we told him he says that's what i wrote down do you want to hear more or do you want to stop i don't maybe you should stop and i was like no i want to hear everything he says does this scare you i was like no not at all it's like the room where we had the mirror was the office for a theater company that i was running at the time 
the name of the theater company was Demon Theater. Uh, oh. Had to do with Ingmar and all the actors and people that worked with us referred to themselves as demons. So I was like, it felt like it was some sort of reference to that. And then through the like three hours of recordings, it, there was just this really kind of a smart aleck attitude from the primary voice. And then anytime my friend would speak, there was a female voice that would come in and just say things like, Oh, shut up. This guy's such an a-hole and say all these negative things. And then the other dominant voice would come in and say, I don't know what you're doing here. This is Michael's house. We want to talk to Michael. It was just, it was really bizarre. I mean, that was kind of the the midpoint. I mean, this, it kind of accelerated from there. And um, there were incidents of, when we started, we had, I had people coming in to try to cleanse the house because we were hearing these noises and strange things were happening. And then it kind of ramped up and kind of when this, the, the scratching started, you know, it's like, I must've done that to myself, me with no fingernails, uh, as we're discussing having someone come to cleanse, you know, these scratches would appear on my, on my neck. And I think there were four or five different um, cleansings that we did on the house. And it must have been about 2015 where it finally seemed to sort of clear it out. So since then, since then, there has not been much that has happened nothing that was super terrifying but just a few odd things here and there it's been a a very interesting ride do you still have the mirror i'm sitting looking at it right now (laughs) the the best things when it says we came with the mirror so you think it was stunning yeah that's stunning now you think you have it under, under control though now I, I, I think so. I mean, nothing much has happened. And I just, the, the people that I contacted for help, it's just, it's, I, even though it happened to me, it's like, I still write it off. It's like, you've seen too many movies. You read too many books. You work in storytelling. This is just your imagination, but multiple people that I talked with, like, you know, you can, you can get rid of this mirror, but it's not going to make a difference. It's, it's not the mirror. It's you, no matter where you go, these things are going to happen. That's a great, great. How do I, I can't, I can't really sell myself. Yeah. That's, um, Michael, that is a campfire classic. Thank you so much for sharing it on the show today. Dave is on the line from South Jersey. I got to tell you, I love this because what Dave is going to talk to us about, we've heard of a few times on the show, but not much. That of time slips. Dave heard about us uh, several months ago on the Great Coast to Coast AM and uh, tip of a cap to them because they're always so kind to us. Tell us about this time slip because I love this topic. Uh, well, this started back in uh, 92 is, is when it occurred. It was my wife. Uh, it was before I, we got married. 
uh, she had just graduated from medical school and um, she had a friend in medical school. She was going to go visit out in San Diego. She lived in San Diego. We lived on the East Coast. So she flew out there and um, she said to her friend, well, I've always wanted to go to the Grand Canyon. So it was fine. Her friend bought a couple tickets, cheap tickets, flew to Phoenix, and um, they rented a car and drove from Phoenix up to Sedona, which uh, kind of, I think, is a midway point between there and the Grand Canyon. But it was late at night. They, they got in late. They rented a car. So they probably didn't start up the road till like 10 o'clock at night. And um, so my wife was driving. And... Um, you know, she was tired, but, you know, she felt bad for her friend because her friend had gone out of her way to, you know, to accommodate her. So she let her friend go to sleep while she drove. And then all of a sudden she said that, um, you know, it was, it was dark out. There was nothing. It was the middle of the desert, nothing going on. All of a sudden it got kind of like a, uh, a hazy white, black and white dawn type of thing. And she started seeing dinosaurs. Whoa. <laughs> yeah dinosaurs and like primordial plants and you know she she said she could still see the road but everything else from the you know the barren desert turned into like jungle with these dinosaurs stepping over her but she said they look kind of ethereal and they're black and white um from what i've read about time slips it's kind of typical to have kind of a you know either black and white or kind of subdued tones so anyway she's like well you know i'm really tired this is ridiculous and, you know she doesn't think about dinosaurs she's not like you know a dinosaur fan so it's not like she didn't understand why she's seeing dinosaurs so she must just be tired so she tried to tough it out because she didn't want to bother her friend to wake her up but but finally she's like and it literally went on for 10 minutes she said Finally, she just pulled over and woke her friend up. But, but the, you know, by the time she pulled over, she wasn't sure where the transition went, went back to desert. But she woke her friend up and said, you know, Terry, this is crazy. <laughs> You're going to have to drive because I'm, I'm hallucinating. And, you know, my wife is a surgical resident. So, you know, it wasn't uncommon for her to be tired. So when she told me the story after I met, we're like, you know, ha ha, surgical resident. You're really whacked. You know, you don't get any sleep. Until 1997, like five years later, after we'd been married, and I heard the story and we joked about it a lot. We didn't think too much of it. So I was watching one of these discovery shows, you know, like Discovery or History Channel or something. And they were talking about, you know, the Vortex sites at Sedona. And they were interviewing a lady who um, <clears throat> lived there. And she said, you know, sometimes I go out on my porch or my deck. And I look across the, the valley in the desert. And I see dinosaurs. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So I was sitting watching the TV and my wife was doing something like, you got to get in here and see this. And so, you know, we watched it like, yep, that's pretty much what happened to me. And, you know, my wife's had some other little, you know, issues with time slips, not quite as dramatic. But, you know, in retrospect, you know, we've gone over it a million times. She was awake. She was driving. And, you know, she's not crazy. She's, you know, well-educated, well-grounded person. And she saw dinosaurs. You know, Dave, I don't doubt it because I believe, and I've said this many times on the shows, I think that reality is far stranger than we understand. And there's these little glitches or these little happenings that kind of are outliers that happen to us that I don't think that we can understand. And I think it's kind of silly to discount them as you you, you said your your wife uh, is a learned woman down to, you know, her feet are on the ground, not given to flights of fancy, but she saw dinosaurs. I don't doubt it for a minute. 
Yeah, <laughs> it was cool stuff. And there's some other things we got. Maybe I'll call you back at another time. Little times. She's like a time slip queen. This girl's very strange. Oh yes, please do. And folks, if you have a time slip story, we'd love to hear more of them. And Dave, I really hope you come back and tell us that. I love that story. A time slip, and your wife. She saw dinosaurs and. Again, I believe it 110%. Thank you so much for being on the campfire tonight. Thank you, Jim. Bye-bye. Jim Harold's campfire is brought to you by Native, and Native is my deodorant of choice. I love it. And, and the main reason I love it is because when I wear it, I don't stink. I mean, uh, you, you just hate that if that ever happens to you. You're like, ooh, I forgot to wear my deodorant today. <laughs> <laughs> but I never forget to wear my deodorant. I'm thinking about stuff that stinks like garbage cans. Ugh. And you clean them and you wash them, at least mine. And it's like, Ugh, that's that's not good. That's not so so I never want to be like that garbage can. I always want to smell my best. Even if I'm just home by myself, you know, just with my family. I, I always want to be odor free. And I am, thanks to Native, because uh, Native not only does uh, a great thing by stopping you from stinking, <laughs> but they also care about the products you put on your body. They're about stopping the stink the right way. That's the Native difference. Now, you probably already know about Native's legendary aluminum-free deodorant. I've told you many times. But have you tried their body wash, their toothpaste? or their brand new mineral-based sunscreen. Yes, I just got some the other day. I'm very excited about it because Native now has a broad-spectrum SPF 30 sunscreen for your face and body. It's lightweight, absorbs quickly, and you can choose between unscented or coconut and pineapple. Native's on a mission to overhaul your entire hygiene routine by putting the care in self-care with products carefully made to work against odor that are made with simple ingredients and smell great. You can get their deodorant and body wash and amazing scents like coconut and vanilla, citrus and herbal musk, lavender and rose, and more. And you can even build your own personalized product bundles. Mix and match three of your favorite scents and keep them on rotation. So you have something for each and every occasion. I love Native. I use it every day. I don't forget and I don't stink and I'm not putting crap into my body. <laughs> I'm putting only good stuff, right? So that's why I love Native and I highly recommend it. We've got a great deal for you. Stay fresh, stay clean with Native by going to nativedo.com slash campfire or use promo code campfire at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedo.com slash campfire or use promo code campfire at checkout for 20% off your first order. Thanks, Native. You're listening to Jim Harold's Campfire. Now, one of the most frightening paranormal phenomena that I know of is when black-eyed kids appear. Now, if you're not familiar, these are kids who are just like any other kids, but they look sickly, they look ill, and when they open their eyes, their eyeball is completely black. Is it an urban legend? Is it real? Well, our next storyteller says, yes, it is real. And it happened to him. This is back from 2013. Our next guest is Tony from Tennessee. And he's going to tell us a story about one of the most mysterious phenomena in the world of the supernatural. And I'm talking about black-eyed children. It's also one of the most chilling. Tony, welcome to the program. And please tell us what happened because this is really chilling. 
It is. Uh, hello, Jim. Glad to be with you tonight. Uh, hello, uh, Campfire audience. It's it's a terrifying, terrifying event. Um, it's it's honestly it's hard to talk about. It. Uh, I've been haunted by these 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 children, for lack of a better word, for over eighteen months, mm-hmm. and um, they they show up in the middle of the night. And uh, the the first time I'd moved into this apartment, um, I, I came home from work by about a month, month and a half of living there, and I just had an uneasy feeling. Um, I don't I don't know how to explain it. It was it was almost a nervous, just uneasy, almost pending doom feeling Ooh. out of nowhere. Never never feel like that, Jim. And um, you know. I decided to go on to bed. I didn't even eat that night, which is, you know, very uncharacteristic. And um, about, let's say, 1, one fifteen, I heard just kind of rapping at the door. And uh, mm-hmm. just knock, 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 knock. And, you know, I live kind of near campus. So I figured, you know, maybe some drunk drunk kids just knock on the door. I got to get back right. to sleep because I got to get up and work tomorrow. Right. So I go back to sleep, and it just keeps going on. And so finally... I didn't even know how much time had passed, really. I get up, walk to the door, and I notice it's like 220, 222, somewhere, somewhere around there. For some reason, the number 222 always stayed with me. Right. And uh, so I open the door, and there's this girl, and I'd say she's probably a teenager, hard to 12, 13, 14, maybe, who knows. And she was looking at the ground. And the first thing she said to me, Jim, was, they've sent me here mm-hmm. and I'm obviously I'm, I'm terrified as it is. Sure. Uh, I, I was feeling uneasy the whole night and this girl shows up and she's telling me they've sent me here and I'm who, who sent you here. She said, just please let me in. And I, I'm, I just feel this cold, cold, cold air just sweep over me Ooh. and just, I, uh, yeah, just, un, just, just the most, I'm telling you, my stomach turned just, I've never felt that way before. It's, it's now, a hard, <clears throat> right now her eyes did now how explain to me the setup of the door. Did you have one of those little fisheye things or did you have a chain that you could look through? What? No, I opened the door. Was it just a wooden door bolt? Okay. Open the door opened and, it all the way. When you say her eyes were black, were the actual, well, at this point, Jim, she's looking at the ground oh okay so, so you don't you don't contact. yeah you don't even know okay gotcha yeah haven't even met eye contact with her and she's she's just talking in just an emotionless drone-ish type voice and it's just like please let me in and i'm like look you know i'll go grab a phone you can use the telephone you want to call somebody she says no please let me in they've sent me here and i yell who sent you here and um finally i'm like i'm i'm, I'm getting the phone i'm calling the police so i turn around all of a sudden, I turn the light on, and she's uh, well. Originally, she had looked up and she had said, uh, "Let me in." And I said, "No, I'm not letting you in." And as soon as I said that, she started getting real, real agitated, uh-huh. and she kept saying, "You know, they've sent me here." And then mm-hmm. she looks up at me, and as soon as she says, "This is only going to take a minute," and Jim, I'm telling you, I've never been so scared. But as soon as she looked up, and my eyes met her eyes. Her entire eyes were blacked out, like Ooh. not like uh, dilated pupils, but like the whole eye was black. Yeah, that's the the artist rendering that I've seen of this, and it's really a, if you've never seen it, it's just a striking, striking look. And it just it just shot me back, and I'm I'm just, I'm calling the police. So I grabbed I, I turn around, grab the phone, and that's when see I didn't even have the uh, the porch light on. 
I still had the light just reflecting out of my own house, out of my own mm-hmm. apartment there. And um, <clears throat> I turned the light on, she's gone. Nobody's there. Nobody's there at all. And um, so I, I, you know, I call the police and they basically laugh at me uh, saying, you know, a little girl and you're like six, four and you're worried about that. And, uh, you know, I ended up telling my neighbor the next day, he's a police officer. And I told him the whole story and it almost, you know, it had him kind of worried. And, uh, he said like two days after telling him that story, he came back and he's like, Hey, Tone, nobody ever even came to your house. They're saying, and you know, there's been crop circles that have been found here recently. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. Just a lot of weird stuff. It sounds like. Yeah. Wow, that is frightening. And the thing is, is that this uneasy feeling and what I've always heard about the black eyed children is that they want to come into your house or they want you to give them a ride that, you know, you said, hey, you need to use a phone. You know, I assume you have a cordless phone or a cell phone. Here's a phone. Use it. You know, you don't want to let a stranger letting the child in in the house, you know, and just it just it was it was ever since I got home, it was uneasy feeling. And I don't know. Frightening, frightening. Now, anything after, anything after that or just that was the kind of the beginning and end of it other than these it, other it, weird things? It's basically the beginning. I mean, it, it stopped for like, I'd say, I'd say a good couple months. And to be honest, I was terrified to even, you know, call in to mention this and, you know, in fear that the horrors would commence again, basically. Right. And, um, you know, my, my only hope is, you know, somebody – has some type of answer, possibly, you know, something that's helped them keep right. keep these things away because they're not children. Frightening stuff. And next up around the campfire is Jay from California, and he has to tell us about uh, a picture and some weird happenings. Jay, thank you for joining us around the campfire. Please tell us your story. Okay, sounds good. Well, I was around four years old. And uh, during the time, about a year before that, my mom divorced and took my sister uh, with her and my mom and one of her friends that also had a youngling that was three years old during that. And my sister was three as well. So it was two uh, girls that were three and I was four. Okay. And uh, my mom and her friend roommated together and they got a place in Fremont, California. And it was something like a motel. Uh, during that time, my mom was in San Francisco, and there was a garage sale in one of the Victorian homes. And uh, what I was told is that she went down to the basement, and there was a bunch of pictures, uh, painted pictures, not just uh, prints, but real painted pictures. Uh, still, some of them unfinished. Some of them were completely finished. And what was interesting about this uh, basement is um, on top of the ceilings, Instead of just white walls, it was uh, representing heaven, and the other part was hell as well. So uh, it was a scene on top of the ceiling. And when my mom started asking around, it appeared uh, the people were, um, I don't want to say satanic, but she mentioned something similar to that, something that worships more the dark side. Okay. uh, But that didn't stop my mom from buying the painting. Uh, Basically, what she did is she went in there, she found a painting that she thought was beautiful, and what it was, it was a lady sitting on a rocking chair in a white gown, and she had blonde hair. My okay. mom loved the picture, so she took it back, and uh, soon enough when she got there, she found a place to put it, and it ended up being uh, in between the two, the upstairs and downstairs. Uh, the stairs had a midway where it would stop and then continue upstairs. Sure. And she put the painting on the, way that, uh, painting on the uh, wall there. Um, 
And then so some strange that, yeah. Right. And then uh, soon after that, this painting, and I remember this several times too, I mean, I'm just a kid, would start to fall off of the, uh, the wall. And it wasn't like the nail was bent or the, the, uh, the uh, sheet rock was uh, loose. It would just suddenly just fall off the wall. And then my mom would hear the, the crash and go over there and put it back up. And this happened quite a few times to the point where my mom and her friend would start to think that something weird's going on here. This thing just constantly comes off the wall. Uh, what the heck's going on? Sure. Um, and, and, so and there was nothing wrong would, with the backing or anything of the painting. Everything technically was fine, but it still fell off. That, that would kind of get me a little concerned, but it sounds like that wasn't the only thing that happened. No, no. In fact, there was a time where they threw a, a get together party and, uh, it fell off the wall during then. And I remember going up the stairs and some of the adults were talking about it. My mom was telling some of the people, yeah, it just keeps falling off. Once again, there it is. It's on, it's off the wall. So, uh, so from that point on after the party, you know, I guess a few days went by and next what would happen in the middle of the night. And, and let me tell you, this place echoed a lot. For some reason, this apartment echoed. So if you're upstairs, you can hear things pretty good downstairs. And, uh, in the middle of the night, we would start to hear the faucet in the kitchen start to drip water. And uh, you can hear the drips really, uh, really clear, like drip, 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 drip. And it would continue. And my mom would go down there and shut it off. A few days after that, this is where it started getting interesting. And uh, this is where all of us, especially as kids, started to somewhat get a little scared is in the middle of the night, two, three in the morning, we would start to hear a lady downstairs crying really softly. Oh, boy. And we didn't know how to take it. I remember being in the room with my sister and uh, my mom's roommate's daughter as well. We all slept in the same room. And I remember the first time it happened, my mom and her friend came to our room, opened the door, and just stood there. And we all listened to this going on. And they were too scared to go downstairs, but they wanted to come to us kids to be with us during that time and eventually it mellowed out and then the next night it did it again so my mom and her friend came to her room the next night and the, and the, and the crying was just a little louder and it was kind of like it wasn't like like uh like really uh the crying was like like <laughs> like, 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 like you can envision maybe her hands are on her eyes crying, looking down to her lap. That's the kind of crying it was. And I just remember laying there and we're just laying there and we're all looking at each other and we can hear this. And then a few nights go by and it happens again. At this point, my mom and her friend are really scared and, and we're all just like knowing it's going to happen again. And then about a week later, it got to the point this crying, this right. time the crying was so loud. It started off soft and it got louder and it got louder and then it just went explosive, and this crying was so loud, you can literally feel the crying through the walls, like, ah, ah, just crying and oh bawling my. her eyes out to the point where my mom and her friend and all of us were so shocked how loud it was and so scared. My mom immediately and her friend ran into our room, turned the lights on, grabbed this kid, didn't even put clothes on us. It wasn't even like that. It was just like something's going on down there, and we're getting out right now. I don't and they blame grabbed us. <laughs> Yeah. And when they grabbed, when we were grabbed, my mom, I just remember my mom grabbing us out of the bed. There wasn't, there wasn't any preparation. She just grabbed us and we all ran down the stairs at once. 
And I just remember my mom grabbing me and my sister and holding us up, carrying us. And then her friend grabbed her kid, and then we all went at the same time. And I remember there was a pause before we went down. And then we just went for it. And luckily, we didn't have to pass the living room because the front door was right down the stairs. But if you made a right-hand turn and went down the hall for about four or five, six feet, then it cuts into the living room. So we didn't have to go in there, and that's where it was coming from. And I remember running out that door, and all of us were frantic. And I just remember holding on to my mom, and it was just loud and loud, and the crying was just so abrupt. And then we had to go around the community pool, which was um, right in front of sliding glass doors in the living room. And our sliding glass door didn't have curtains, so it was open, so you can see. And the parking lot was on the side of the pool. Uh So when we got around the pool and went to the parking lot, this is the part that freaked all of us out. Is when we got in the car, we can see right past the pool, the the gate, which uh, you can see through the wires. It wasn't like it was like really uh, tight, tight wires. It was really loose and open. Right. You can see right. I'm sorry? No, no, I said right. Go ahead. So when we got in the car, we can see right through the glass windows. And that's when my mom and her friend freaked out. Because when we, when we looked, there was a lady with a white gown sitting on a rocking chair in the <laughs> living room, just <laughs> rocking, staring at us. And my mom wow. and her friend freaked out and started to scream in the car. Like, <laughs> and I just remember my friend's mom trying to get the keys in the key lock and in the keyhole to start the car. And she couldn't do it. And I just remember us kids going, ah, we're just like, bro, it's like, you know, I got to tell you, Jay, I hear a lot of ghost stories. I talk to paranormal investigators and authors and things. You just gave me chills and that's not an easy thing to do. That is a wow. So what happened after that? What did you guys end up doing? Well, my friend, my uh, mom's friend finally got the keys in the car. And this is like two, three in the morning. It's not like 12. It's like really wee hours in the morning. And we just drove straight to my grandma's house, which is about seven or eight miles away in the next town. And when we got there, us kids, we never went back. But my mom had to go with some people and, and, and immediately evacuate and get her stuff and get out. And so did her friend. And from that point on, we stayed, me and my mom and my sister stayed at my grandma's until she remarried again. And what happened to the painting? You know, um, my sister knows what happened to the painting. I don't really know. I don't know. I I can't remember. And and I wish I did because I don't I don't want to say oh she threw it away oh she gave it away. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, but my sister knows, and I can probably update you someday. But um, I, I'm more than sure the painting uh, didn't. You know, she didn't keep the painting, and I'm sure it didn't stay in that house. I'm sure they did something with it. Well, you know, so it's, that, it's 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 interesting because it would be interesting to follow and know the life of that painting, the the total history of that painting. And if it did pass along to someone else, did they experience something like this? Because, wow, the fact, what, what was the clincher for me was the fact you looked through those sliding glass doors and you saw that white figure, that, that uh, uh, woman in the white robe rocking back and forth, similar to the woman in the picture. That, that just blows my mind. Oh, let me tell you, um, I, I will never, ever forget it. It's impossible. And it's funny when you're an adult and you look back at that and you think, um, yeah, you know, it must have been a dream. No, it's not a dream. This is something we all experienced. And uh, it's just one of those things where when you're an adult, you can remember it as it is or you can turn it off and pretend it never happened. And, and the truth is, it, it really happened. And we ended up at my grandma's house and we never went back. And uh, that's it. I mean, <sighs> I mean, right now, just talking about it, it's kind of hard for me right now because my voice is kind of trembling. If you guys can hear it, just remembering that that incident was just scary as hell. 
Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, I, I mean, I'm, I'm 3,000 miles away and I got the shivers. I, you know, I, I'm glad we don't have any rocking chairs in the house. I, <laughs> that's a great story, Jay. Thank you so much for sharing it. And do, do us a favor. If you do find out what happened to the painting, if you get to talk to your sister, I don't know if you talk to her how often, daily, weekly, whatever it might be, find out and let us know. I think we'd all be real interested to what happened to that painting with the mysterious lady in it. And thank you so much for sharing. It is a fantastic story. Perfect for the Halloween season. Thanks, Jim. Talk to you some other time. Jim Harold's Campfire is brought to you by my streaming service of choice for spooky shows and movies and all that good stuff. I'm talking about Shudder because Shudder is the streaming service with the best selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural movie series and originals from Hollywood favorites and cult classics to original series and critically acclaimed new genre films you won't find anywhere else. Streaming uncut and commercial-free right to your favorite devices. Now, Shudder has been going big. They just finished up their halfway to Halloween month in April, and that was the biggest month of original programming in Shudder history, including season two of Creepshow and exclusive movies like The Power, Boys from County Hell, and the 80s horror doc In Search of Darkness Part 2. Now, May, they're not slowing down. They're keeping things going with a new original movie every month, including the mind-melting weirdness of Fried Berry, the splattery sci-fi horror comedy Psycho Goreman, and The Reckoning, the latest from modern horror master Neil Marshall, director of The Descent, Dog Soldiers, and episodes of The Game of Thrones. Now, Here's the thing. There's so much. I mentioned Creepshow Season 2, The Power, Boys from County Hell, Fried Berry, The Reckoning, Psycho Gorman, The Wicker Man, uh, which is a classic from 1973 in the U.S. only. Um, just a, a great, great situation. Fantastic. You gotta love Shudder if you like scary, spooky stuff. Now, you can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense for $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year, but we've got a really great deal for you. Hang on to your hats, what we're going to tell you about. And you really ought to check it out because Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. Many have called it the Netflix for horror. It works on a ton of different devices, pretty much any device you have, modern device. It is fantastic. I use my Roku. Some people prefer their iPhone, their iPad, their Android device, maybe an Xbox One, maybe a Fire TV, maybe a Chromecast. You get the idea. It pretty much does it all and does it all very well. And I absolutely love it. I'm enjoying Creep Show Season 2. Love it. Recently got to interview Joe Bob Briggs last month. Love his show, his drive-in show. Fantastic. Shudder is great. So here's the deal. Get started streaming the best horror, thriller, and supernatural content. Shudder's expertly curated collection includes must-see titles like Color Out of Space, Host, the Mortuary Collections, plus all the best horror documentaries and the hit Creepshow TV series from executive producer Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use the promo code CAMPFIRE. Let me give that to you again and let me spell it. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and use the promo code CAMPFIRE. I'll tell you, I love it. I won't give it up. 
I think you'll love it too. And you can watch it free for 30 days. What are you waiting for? Check out Shudder.com and use that promo code Campfire. Thanks, Shudder. Subscribe or follow Jim Harold's Campfire today, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review too. It helps so much. Thanks. Now, back to another great campfire story. Well, we have Adam on the line from Connecticut. And uh, here is a story, well, not about Christmas in Connecticut, to quote that old movie, but Christmas in Vermont and something very eerie that happened to him at that, uh, that very magical time of the year. But this was magical, maybe in a different kind of way. Absolutely. Adam, thanks, thanks for coming on the show. Tell us what happened that very mysterious Christmas. Absolutely, and thanks, Jim, for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. I'm a big fan of yours and uh, everything you do. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. Basically, um, a couple years ago, my family had rented out a big house in Vermont uh, for Christmas, and my family, my father's side of the family, is kind of uh, scattered throughout the East Coast, up and down to Florida, so we don't really get to see each other that often. Um, so we all went up to Vermont uh, one year for this Christmas, and... Um, it was a really old house. It was uh, kind of creepy, and, you know, we stayed. We were there for about five days. And, um, you know, throughout the five days, some weird things were happening. There were some, you know, uh, servants working there and everything, and they would kind of tell us some stories about, you know, the house possibly being haunted. And uh, so, <laughs> long story short, basically we get to uh, Christmas Eve, and um, when we got there, actually me and my brother, we didn't have – kind of our own room to stay in everybody you know they're with kids and everything they all kind of got the first pick of the room so we were kind of just sitting on couches and or i'm sorry sleeping on couches and everything and uh you know we'd sleep in different areas of the house but um christmas eve we decided to uh sleep actually down in the main living area next to the christmas tree and everything and you know whatever and uh it got to be about 2.30 in the morning, I think it was, and um, I woke up, actually, and I see this just kind of tall figure at the top of a pretty big staircase, and the figure was just kind of sitting there, and it was funny. It kind of just, like, was kind of motionless, and at first, I wasn't sure. I thought maybe someone had gotten up to go to the bathroom or, you know, even possibly sleepwalking for all I knew. And, or Santa uh, Claus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, that, was, that was definitely a possibility. Um, so I remember thinking, you know, it was kind of like just the silhouette of the figure that I saw. I couldn't make out kind of any facial features or anything like that. Um, I remember thinking to myself, though, that it almost looked like it, it was wearing kind of like a tuxedo or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was, it was very strange. Um, and it started walking down the stairs and, uh, it, the, I remember one of the first things I thought when it started walking down the stairs was how, how weird and strange it, it looked like when it was walking. It was, uh, the best way I could really describe it was kind of almost like it was like a puppet on a string in a way. Right. Um, you know, it, it was very, it was very just unnatural kind of. And, um, I remember actually, even like I said, you know, I had just woken up and at first I thought, you know, I was kind of like dreaming and I, and I actually kind of, you know, rubbed my eyes a little bit and, uh, you know, just to make sure I was, you know, conscious, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause this was, uh, kind of weird. And, and like I said, at first I, I didn't think it was anything supernatural. I thought it was just someone, you know, in the house and, um, so it was kind of walking down the stairs in that weird, weird way. Um, and it finally got to the bottom of the stairs and 
it kind of started looking around. Like I could see its head tilt back a little bit, like almost like someone who had like come home after a long time and hadn't been there. And it was like almost looking around like, you know, God, it's great to be back or something. You know what I mean? Oh, um, I see. It was real, you know, it, and you know, the more I thought about it after it happened, the more I was kind of, you know, thinking that, you know, that was the way it was looking, you know? And, um, it was looking around and everything and kind of, and kind of like kind of moving back and forth in kind of a weird wavy way still. And, you know, at this point I'm starting to get a little freaked out cause I'm not sure exactly what's going on. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, and this completely caught me off guard, I heard in a weird, in a, in a very weird, uh, deep male's voice. Um, it said, Oh my love, what a mirror image we are. And I'll never Ooh, forget. It was that. Yeah, I just got I, chills. Yeah. I'm but me too. Literally. I mean, when I, I was just thinking about it, you know, um, who was it? Who was it saying this to? That's the thing. It wasn't like, you know, at this point it was still kind of like, you know, kind of almost like bobbing back and forth almost and kind of looking around and it, it didn't seem to Ooh. direct that to anybody in, in particular, which was the weird thing too. And, um, you know, I've obviously gone over it in my head a thousand times and I am, you know, it was very clear and the way that it sounded when, you know, this thing said it was, it almost was like, like someone saying it in like a cave. It was kind of like a weird, like, like echoey Echo, type thing. Yeah. yeah. It was very strange. I'd never really experienced anything like that. And, um, you know, so, and, and I'm 100% sure that it said, you know, Oh my love, what a mirror image we are, you know? And I still don't really know what it means exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or exactly what it was, you know, if it was talking to the house or it was like, you know, I don't know if it was someone who previously owned the house. It's interesting. You, know what I mean? you or, said it was in a tuxedo. Or it was around Christmas time. So maybe it was right. a ghost from the past who had been dressed up for some kind of Christmas get together or Christmas party. Absolutely. You know, it's so fun. I never even thought about it that way. That's I mean, that's just point, what comes, actually. yeah, that's, that's what comes to mind. I got to tell you, literally that gave me chills. Now, the, the story is spooky enough, but that phrase, my right. love, what a, what a mirror image we are. I mean, that, that's the, that's the capper right there. That, that really, oh, absolutely. that's probably the name of this episode, by the way. <laughs> oh, that, oh, that's so cool. That is so cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it's something that stuck with me and, um, it, it's just, like I said, I, I still don't know. Um, the next morning, actually, uh, when we were all kind of having Christmas breakfast and everything, you know, I had asked, you know, everybody, you know, there was, I think around 15 of us there. And, you know, I was like, was anybody up going to the bathroom or kind of looking around the house or, you know, I don't know if someone got a little tipsy, you know what I mean? And was just kind of wandering and everybody said, no, you know, we were all, you know, nobody, you know, said they were sleepwalking or anything like that. And, you know, um, basically what happened to the apparition that I saw it, uh, it walked into another room, um, that was kind of, you know, off to the right of me. And, uh, you know, it just never came back. And at that point I, you know, I wasn't sure what, what to do. And you know what I mean? I kind of just stayed there. I didn't really even get up to look for anybody. You know what I mean? I was just so right. kind of baffled that, you know, and I was up for about an hour afterward and nothing came back out of that room, you know, that um, is absolutely freaky right and uh like i said the next morning no one owned up to it and 
actually, my uncle said, after I had kind of explained a little bit of what happened, he said, you know, I meant to ask you guys, too, if anybody uh, peeped their head into my room. And he said it was around 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, he was, you know, I, I don't think he could give an exact time because he was, you know, asleep as well. But he said that, you know, he saw his door open and the light from the hallway come in. And someone peeked their head in and kind of looked into their room. And, you know, no one really fessed up to that either. So I don't know if it was the same thing or, you know what I mean? So that was kind of a, a little bit more, you know, um, just something to kind of confirm that, you know, maybe I, you know, really did see something or, you know what I mean? That someone else experienced it too, you know? So. Yeah. I got to tell you, it's very, very chilling what you tell. And um, maybe somebody out there will have an idea what that means. What oh, yeah, that, what that, uh, what that, uh, that phrase means, because it could mean so many different things, but maybe somebody out there, maybe that's a saying, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. Absolutely. Um, so we'll wait to hear, but Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing that very chilling story. And, uh, we update from time to time when uh, new information comes around. So We'll ask folks out there the mirror image oh, statement. Absolutely. What does what does that mean? Let's let's find out. Adam and I are very very curious. Well, Adam, thanks for being on the show tonight. My pleasure. Thank you, Jim. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thomas is on the line from Motown, Detroit, Michigan, and we're so glad to have him on the line. And he has a doozy of a story he found out about us from, of course, the great astonishing legends. We get a ton of referrals from. Those guys, Scott and Forrest, so we'll return the favor and be sure to check them out as well. Thomas, welcome to the show, and please share this remarkable story. Thank you, Jim. So this uh, story starts <laughs> in the late 50s. Uh, my mom got a doll as a child. It was a commercially made doll named Patty Playpal, about life-size, six-year-old girl-sized. And when my her father, my papa, was in the Air Force, so they moved around a lot, and at some point, in those moves, the doll was just lost. They assumed, gone, you know, how that happens. Fast forward to 1984. Uh, the doll's been gone for 25, 30 years at this point, and we are attending my grandmother's funeral. And afterwards, uh, at, I'm nine years old at this point. Afterwards, we head to my grandmother's house. My mom and her sister are going through stuff and trying to organize, you know, my grandmother's life. My mom is in, an, in a hall closet, and she suddenly screams in delight, not fear, and pulls this package out of the closet, and it's the doll that's been missing for decades. It's covered in a pillowcase. It's got several belts buckled around it, and my mom proceeds to unbuckle it frantically. She's talking about, oh my gosh, this is my childhood doll. I can't believe it's here. Where has it been all these years? You know, even nine-year-old me, there's red flags like, shooting off left and right. <laughs> <laughs> the, as she pulls the pillowcase and the buckle, belt buckles off, the arms have been detached. They're just loose inside the bag. So she puts the arms in their sockets and sits the doll in the living room, dead in front of me, no pun intended, and proceeds to tell me the story about losing it. Well, I'm sitting here staring at this thing, and it's just this wash of cold and fear that for a nine-year-old brain is just completely irrational. And I'm like, please, no, I don't, I don't like this. I just get it away. And she's like, no, 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 it's my childhood doll. You sh I want you to see it and we'll, we'll finish packing up and get going soon. I'm sitting there and the doll twists its head right at me. And I 
scream. And of course, my mom comes running, my aunt comes running, and I tell them what happened. They say, oh, no, she's just settling. You know, they try to pacify me. I'm just not buying it as a kid. I I don't blame you. Now, let me, you you said it was covered and it was belted, like somebody put it to like secure it in some way. Yeah. Somebody had intentionally covered it up and buckled it into uh, several leather belts for whatever reason. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And of course, my mom at the time was like, oh, it's to keep it from getting dusty. I'm like, that doesn't explain the belts. So we leave a few days later. We travel home to Charleston, which is where we were living at the time. And my mom cleans up the doll. She puts it on display in the hall at the foot of the stairs, which at night prevents me from going down the stairs because absolutely not. I'm not going to go face this thing. And it terrifies me for years. I had nightmares constantly where she would climb up the the ladder at the foot of my bunk bed and I would just see her bangs and her face come up and then she'd lower back down and go away. And I mean, this thing plagued me. I, if there, if there's a definition for haunted, it was this experience haunting me. Eventually, we moved to Tennessee. Uh, my, my dad got out of the Navy. We moved to Tennessee to be close to our family. And I, had, I was begging my mom for years, put the, get rid of the doll. Do, do anything else in the world with it other than keep it. She refused. She had this weird sentimentality for this thing that was missing for decades. But she does agree to keep it in the darkest corner of her closet so I don't have to see it. I was like, fine, great. You deal with it. I don't want to look. But one night when I was uh, my senior year of high school, I was home alone. I was getting out of the shower. We were getting ready to go out with a bunch of friends and hang out. And I'm standing in the bathroom in my towel and I hear my mom's bedroom door open and shut. And it's right next door to where I'm, the bathroom that I'm in. And and I immediately, I mean, first thing I think is it's this doll. (laughs) My teenage brain is swirling. And I hear very soft, faint footsteps cross from the door in front of the bathroom, past it. This is all on a carpeted hallway. And they proceed further away. And I hear the sound of the footsteps change to footsteps on linoleum. So I know whatever is out there, whoever's out there is now in the kitchen. I hear drawers starting to be pulled open and closed. I hear silverware rattling. And I am just in a state of like pure terror. Either there is a possessed doll in the house that's coming for me like my fears have had all these years or there's possibly somebody actually physically in the house i'm still standing in this bathroom door shut locked with a towel on i hear the drawers stop moving the silverware has stopped making noise i hear the footsteps on linoleum coming back towards me the footsteps hit the carpet and pad across and my mom's bedroom door opens and slams shut again And I am, I mean, pure terror. I have never felt terror like this in my life. I'm literally thinking that this doll, I I, I rationalize it saying, oh my God, if it is this doll, it's gotten out, it's got a knife. uh, (laughs) It's going to, it's, it's making me think that it went back in the room, but oh my God, it's going to be right outside the door. I'm really building this up in my head and try to talk myself down, which the, the thing that, actually somehow calms me down is the idea that maybe it's just a person, which is still terrible, but not evil or, or not in the uh, ghostly sense. So I finally when like, I have to get out of this bathroom. I have to escape. I have to go somewhere. So I grab my hairdryer and a disposable razor thinking, at least I have something in my hands and I throw the door open and there's nothing. Nothing is in, on either direction of the hallway. The bedroom door is still shut. 
I run to my left towards the dining room. There is some laundry that I was supposed to put away that I hadn't <laughs> that is sitting in the basket on the table. I grab some clothes out of that. I don't even care what they are. I run from that room to the living room and I'm hiding under an end table trying to pull on pants thinking, I just got to put on pants to get out the door in case whatever is here is still here. The table uh, right above me is a cordless phone and it starts ringing. And I had recently seen at some slumber party or something when a stranger calls Oh, yeah, I remember that movie. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the call is coming from inside the house. And I'm just like, you know, this is just keeps building. It's like layer on layer of horror. But I thought that something told me that if I didn't answer the phone, something worse was going to happen. So I answered it and I said, hello. And it's my friend, Samantha. She's like, oh, hey, there's a change in plans. We're going to go to this place. I said, Sam, stop. There's somebody in my house. She takes a second. She's obviously confused. And she asks me if I'm sure uh, I say, yes. <laughs> she tells me she's calling the cops and tells me to get out. So I hang up the phone. I run out of the living room. I have to go back into this hallway. It's a ranch style house. So the hallway is connects to everything. And I don't even look down towards my mom's bedroom because I don't want to know what's there. If something's coming out, I turn right and go towards our kitchen I throw open the kitchen door, run down the three steps that go into our carport and get my keys out for my car and the lights to the carport turn on. And this is 1993. Uh, motion detecting lights are around, but we didn't have them. The only way to turn these lights on are from a switch that's right inside the kitchen door. So I instinctively look up and the kitchen door, it's one of those where the top half has nine panes of glass and a little curtain. The curtain has been pushed aside, and there's the silhouette of something about four, four and a half foot tall. I, uh, I, I jump in my car. I drive around the street to get to the front of the neighborhood, and I'm waiting there for the cops to show up. They do. They have me wait in my car. They go through the entire house. They come back out. They say, there's no forced entry. There's, like, they're sort of chiding me a little bit like, oh, this kid, he's you know, home by himself and got spooked. So they leave. That same experience happened almost exactly just a couple weeks later, another night that I was home by myself. I told my mom about these stories. I, she's like, oh, these are just your childhood you know, nightmares. You're just, you, you just got an overactive imagination. And I'm like, all right, I've expressed myself. There's nothing else I can do. I'm not going to convince you. So fast forward a few years. I'm coming home from college. For the weekend, I get in the house. I see my mom's car is there. So I, I walk in and normally she would, you know, hey, Tom, how are you doing? I don't get a, a greeting. So I go, hey, mom, are you here? She goes, I'm back here. So I follow the sound. She's back in her bedroom. And I walk in and she's sitting on the floor, cross-legged. The doll is in front of her. She has two pillowcases wrapped over the top of it. Both arms have been popped out of sockets and just stuffed inside. And she's belting it, just like how we found it uh, 15 years before. And I ask, like, hey, what what are you doing? <laughs> she goes, oh, nothing. She sort of shrugs it off. And that's really weird. Like, my my mom, for for all of her, like, don't worry. It's This isn't real. This it can't hurt you. This was weird. This was weird for her to have this experience with this doll. So she bundles it up and she tucks it back into that far corner of her closet and we don't talk about it. 
A couple weeks later, I come back home. It's another holiday. And she says, hey, remember when I wrapped Patty Play Pal up? I was like, yeah, <laughs> that was weird. She proceeds to tell me that the night leading up to that morning when I walked in and saw her bundling it, she had a dream that she was walking along when suddenly an, a very old woman uh, approached her carrying a young girl. And the woman said, can you keep her safe? And my mom, who was the kindest, caringest woman you can ever imagine, aside from not believing that I was being terrorized by <laughs> a haunted doll, said, yes, of course. She grabs the little girl and as she looks at her, she realizes that this is Patty Playpal. The old lady takes a beat and looks at my mother in this dream and she yells, go. And my mom starts running, carrying this girl. And suddenly she's crying. The girl's crying. They're running and running. And suddenly a phone booth pops up in the dream and the phone is ringing. And the really weird thing is that when my mom was telling me the story, she said, I felt like if I didn't answer the phone, something worse was going to happen which was exactly the feeling that I had the couple of months, weeks long before uh, with the phone ringing. So she says in the dream, she answers the phone. And when she says hello, she gets a growling voice saying, we will find her. And she slams the phone down. And that's the thing that breaks her from the dream. And she wakes up and she sort of throws her legs over the side of her bed and she's fidgeting at her nightstand. She's a chain smoker. She's looking for a cigarette to sort of calm her nerves. And she realizes something is out of place in the room. And right as she's about to take a drag on her cigarette, she turns to her left towards her closet. The door is open. Patty is no longer in the back corner. She is at the frame of the door, leaning forward with her head turned, staring at my mom as though she was eavesdropping on her. <laughs> and my mom said she spent the night completely awake in the living room. She was like, it felt wrong. Some, something was something bad was happening. So that explains her bundling it. And eventually she puts it into a storage room, uh, a storage unit that she had with some other uh, knickknacks and boxes of old things that we owned. Fast forward a few more years and it's 2008. My mom eventually died of pancreatic cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. Um, very quick. I mean, the good news is it was as quick and painless as it could be, but it was hard on the family. And it took us, took me and my stepdad a little time to go. You really take care of all of her things. So we're going through the house. We get that organized and we decide, let's go to the storage unit, clean it out, get rid of stuff. It's been in a, a storage unit for you know, a couple of years now. If we haven't touched it, we don't need it. So we go and we're getting all this stuff out to have like a yard sale and we're going through and I was, and, and my stepdad was nervous about this doll story too. And he, he didn't believe any of it, but he just did not like this doll because of the stories. So he's like, I'm going to scream when we see the doll. And I was like, I know, I know we go through the whole thing and the doll's not anywhere to be found. Not a lick, no pillowcase, no belt buckles, nothing. So we're like, well, Good. She's gone. <laughs> She's gone on to terrorize somebody else. <laughs> but then a couple of years ago, my husband, uh, my then fiance, now husband and I were walking through Brooklyn, uh, just a random day, like we're out just adventuring. And we walk past an antique store and I freeze in my steps and I turn to look. And in the window, uh, the storefront window of this antique store, 
And I can't attest that it's the exact same doll because I refused to go into the store to get a closer look. But it is an identical Patty Playpal doll. Her head is craning up, looking out the window at me, and she is missing both of her arms. Oh, man. So that is my terror from a doll. I, I, I don't know what she was. I don't know why the bundling was a process. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't have answers to it. It's a little bit of a of a spooky story. It's a little bit of a head scratcher. <laughs> it's a lot of a head scratcher. Wow, what a great story, Thomas. I gotta tell you, that freaked me out. And the idea that this you saw its head move, you saw the silhouette, you found it, I mean, she you guys originally found it belted and covered, and then it went from the storage unit, then it ostensibly followed you to Brooklyn. I mean, oh my gosh. Wow. That's creepy. That is really creepy. Yeah. That was 2014 was when I saw it in Brooklyn and I haven't seen it since. And I'm hoping I never see it again. (laughs) I bet you don't like that one twilight zone episode. You know, the, hi, I'm talking Tina and I want to kill you. (laughs) Oh no, I hated that. And when my husband and I went to go see the first Annabelle movie, he was like, He's like, are you sure you want to go? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a movie. And we got home and I was like, that was too close to home. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thomas, thank you so much for sharing an unforgettable campfire story. This is a campfire classic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate your time. Jim Harold's Campfire is brought to you by Stamps.com. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you still going to the post office? Still paying full price for postage? Well, come on now. There's a better way. Thanks to Stamps.com, you don't have to do either of those things anymore. You can mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. Send letters, ship packages, and pay less. A lot less. With discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. And Stamps.com, well, they save businesses thousands of hours and tons of money every year. Well, how is that? Well, Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. It's a must-have for any business, whether you're a small business sending invoices, a side hustle, Etsy shop, shipping out orders, or just navigating this hybrid work life we're living these days. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. No wonder over 1 million businesses, including mine, choose Stamps.com for their mailing and shipping. I love it. I use it all the time when we do giveaways. I use it to ship things. When I have equipment that's broken down, I use it to ship it. It has been a real lifesaver over the last 14, 15 months. I love it. You simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. And once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's just that simple. And with Stamps.com, you get discounts up to 40% off post office rates and up to 66% off UPS shipping rates. And not to mention, Stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Really, Stamps.com is a no-brainer. Saving you time and money, it's no wonder nearly 1 million small businesses already use Stamps.com. And as I said, I'm a proud user of it. I love it. I use it all the time. I highly recommend it. So here's the deal. 
Stop wasting time and going to the post office. Go to stamps.com instead. There's no risk. And with my promo code CAMPFIRE, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in CAMPFIRE. That's stamps.com. Promo code CAMPFIRE. Thanks, stamps.com. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Follow Jim on Twitter and Instagram at Harold and join our Virtual Campfire Facebook group at virtualcampfiregroup.com. Now, back to the campfire. Well, Ed is on the show, and he has a really creepy story about a crawling thing. Ugh. Welcome, Ed, all the way from Texas. Tell us about this weird crawling thing. Hi, Jim. Well, I worked at a paper mill in um, Pomona, California, and this happened around 2004. Um, and one night I was working um, in, the, in the basement. I mean, the basement sounds spooky, but it's actually uh, ground level. Mm-hmm. So I was on a forklift and I was inside the basement quite a ways. And there's a... At this paper mill, we recycle newsprint, and there's sometimes like staples and things like that 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 have to be taken out, and they fall to all the heavy things fall into this container on the base in the basement. So I was on the forklift, and and this is part of my job. I pick up this container and I I turn it, it rotates, and I let out all the water, and then I take it outside and I I put it in the trash. But as I, I, I came up, and to the left of me is a long, dark hallway. There's an electrical room, and then there's some uh, water clarifiers to the other side. And in between, there's a long, dark hallway. About, I'm going to say about 40, 50 feet long. Okay. And I pull up. I, I pick up the container. I start rotating it. And I'm looking at the edge of the container because uh, I don't want any of the material to fly out. I just want the water. And as I'm looking to the side, I see something off in the distance, about 30 feet, and it looks like a person, and it's crawling on the floor. Ooh. And, <laughs> and within a matter of seconds, it, it, it's gone from 30 feet to about three feet from me and I watch it as it comes all the way and I'm looking down because it's coming closer. I'm on the forklift and and it comes about three feet away from me and it just disappears. And I, I just look at it. I look to the other side and I thought, well, maybe it was somebody and they crawled underneath, but the forklift is too low to the ground for anybody to fit through there. Right. So pretty much I just, I just, didn't even empty it out. I just put the thing back down and I got out of there and I, there was only about two hours left on my shift. <laughs> and I don't so. <laughs> blame you. I'm like, let me out of there for yeah, sure. So I just went in my uh, chemical handler shack and I just uh, closed it up and waited the two hours. But as I was thinking about it, I could tell it was what looked like a person. Um, he had a blue shirt on, like I could tell you, like a, a work uniform, like mm-hmm. a short sleeve work uniform. I could tell uh, he his ethnicity was white. 
Um, he seemed like he had like blondish hair. Mm-hmm. But the strange thing, when I remembered, he, I couldn't remember his face. I don't know if his face was blurry or it looked like he just had skin pulled over his face. Uh-huh. And the way he crawled wasn't like a normal person crawling. It seemed like, like almost like a lizard. Like he, like he knew how to crawl really well. Ooh. So this was on a Thursday and we work rotating shifts um, at that mill. And that means we go from graveyard one week to uh, swing shift and then days the next week. And on the next, the next week, uh, like four days later, uh, on Monday, it was day shift. And the crew stays together. So I have a, the guy above me as a clarifier operator. And on Monday, uh, we, we uh, set up so I could learn his job. He would teach me his job. And there was a guy who broke his, his arm and he was there learning also because he was on light duty. So I was in the, on Monday, I was in the clarifier operator shack and he was teaching me. And then all of a sudden he says, Hey, Ed, I forgot to tell you, I saw something strange last Thursday. <laughs> he, he worked over like, uh, our, our ship ended at 11. He worked over till three. And he said about halfway in between when he was working over about midnight, he was going to check on some clarifiers and he's walking and right in front of him, he sees somebody crawling. So he, because like a lot of guys in that mill, we like to play around and we like run around and try to scare each other. Right. So he thought somebody was messing around. So he, the, the guy he saw crawling uh, went behind a big tank, a water tank. So he ran to the other side to kind of try to scare him or catch him. And he said nobody was there. And he said there was there's no way he could have got past them. He just disappeared. But he saw him like uh, crawling sideways. And what he said it looked like was this this thing was bent over backwards crawling. Um, like he he was crawling, you know, with his back facing the ground. Huh. So uh, <laughs> when he told me this, I hadn't told anybody yeah, about like this. What, I just, what crawls like that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when he told me this, I hadn't told anybody about what I had seen. I just put it like in the back of my mind. I didn't want to think about it. You know, I had a wife and a young child and the the job paid really well. So I was just trying to forget about it. Right. So the guy, the guy said, like, I turned very pale (laughs) when he told me this. Then I told him my story. And with it, like the next couple of weeks, we went around and asking the, uh, the guys who worked there for a long time about any fatalities that happened at the mill. We're thinking, you know, maybe it's, it's a ghost or something. So there was two fatalities at the mill, like in the seventies there. Um, one didn't fit the description and it was, it was kind of gruesome. So I won't go into that. Mm-hmm. The second one did fit the description of what we saw. And it, uh, one summer back then they used to have summer interns, like for college students. Right. And there was a college student. And he was working uh, on, during the summer, and there was a worker there who was carrying a big uh, electrical cabinet, probably like a, a thousand pounds, on a forklift. Right. And he was guiding this person, this uh, college student, and they was the forklift was coming forward, so he was calling it forward. And then what happened? The the intern tripped and and fell backwards. The person on the forklift 
hit the brakes and the whole filing cabinet tipped over onto him. They say that he was getting up when it just pretty much uh, crushed him and folded him in half. Oh, my God. So that's who we figure we saw. Wow. That's just really weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, it's, it's something that I, I will never forget seeing that person or whatever it was crawling towards me. Wow. And the fact that a coworker saw, again, going back to somebody yeah. else, confirming evidence, validation. Well, Ed, yes. um, that sounds like a story you'll remember the rest of your life. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much for telling it. And uh, we appreciate you being on the, uh, on the campfire. I know you say you don't like to experience these paranormal things. And these are the, I think, the three things that have happened to. So for your sake, I hope you experience experience nothing else but you're able to enjoy the stories for many years to come yes definitely i love your show jim well you'll recognize his voice he's been on the show before ryan is back from south carolina and he's going to talk uh, about a time he was contacted by a spirit for a very specific reason and i'll let him tell you what that is ryan good to speak with you good good to have you back on the show welcome back and tell us what happened Hey, I thank you much. Jim, I, I read your Facebook page so much, and people talk about how that we think we can be contacted by spirits, whether good or bad. And mm-hmm. I really think they can contact you. You can actually talk to them. I think sometimes they let you see them. I think the day and age now with cellular phones and stuff, that we are energy-driven people. I think that really opens up a way for us to be contacted by people. Okay. And I had a personal tragedy happen about six months ago. So I kind of, I haven't been on the radio, hadn't talked to nobody, hadn't really done anything. And one day I got a call. It was a local number and I answered it. And the guy told me, he said, um, is this Ryan? I said, yeah. He said, you're the guy that's on the, um, TV station and radio stations. And you, been able to see spirits and talk to spirits and all of this. And I said, yeah, but I said, the question, who are you and how did you get my number? <laughs> and I mean, you know what I mean, Jim? You know, sure. That, Calling that's out the blue, yeah. Yeah. And he told me, he said, listen, I'm a friend of a person and I'm not going to call the boy's name, but he was at a local radio station. And he said, I know him and he gave me your number because he said, if there's anyone that can help you, this guy can do it and just tell him if he needs to talk to me to call him. And that kind of put me at ease, Jim. You know, I mean, I still didn't like it, but I was like, hey, I'll listen because I really didn't know what it was about. I mean, right. this guy opens up to me and he starts talking to Jim about it. He said, man, when I was a kid, we lived in this house and everything went haywire to the point that our family just left. We picked up, we got out of our house. People were being pushed down. Things were being broken. You would hear screams and stuff. And I stopped right there. I said, whoa, man, wait a minute. I'm not Ghostbusters. I said, everything that I've ever told people has happened in my realm of my life. I said, I've never went to somebody's place or got involved in somebody's business unless it came to me. I said, I don't, I don't do stuff like that. Right. And he said, Ryan, he said, listen, please, this has bothered me all my life. And I would just really appreciate it. If you would come to this house and tell me what you think. 
And I thought about it, and I hadn't been out of my house. Well, let me rephrase that. I had stayed in my house a lot since I lost a puppy that was 14 years old. And me and my wife took it real hard. And I said, you know what? I'll get out of the house. I didn't tell her where I was going. So I told the guy, I said, listen, where is it? And he told me he's about 90 miles from here. And he said, let's meet this Saturday and we'll check it out. So I get up Saturday morning, Jim, and I drive down. I knew exactly where it was. Um, it's not from where I was raised, but it's in that area. I knew the road. And when I drove up, you, you go off a main road and you take a right. You go down this dirt road, Jim. And when I saw the house, everything that I've ever had happened to me was in a normal place. Uh-huh. But, Jim, this house was the most scariest looking thing that I said when I drove up and I pulled off the road into like a little yard. The house was, I said, if there's not a ghost in it or something, it's because he's too scared to be in there. Ooh. I mean, this had, yeah, this <laughs> thing had weeping willow trees, Jim. The windows were all darked out. It was an old wood house. The house looked like it was maybe from the 40s to the 50s. You know, okay. I mean, this, yeah, this thing had the old big locks on it. So I pull up in there, and as I um, walk around, I look down the back of the house, and there's a dirt road that comes around, and the boy comes walking up, and he says, Ryan. And I said, yeah, and he introduced, he says, man, I appreciate you coming and all this. And he went over the stuff again and everything. And I said, well, let's me and you go in and see what we can find. And at that moment, Jim, one thing hit me about him his appearance did not match with the house. He was mm. a lot younger looking. Okay. Than, you, you know what I'm saying? I said, I, but I right. was thinking in my mind, but I didn't say, I said, something doesn't hit me right. And I said, when I said, let's go in. And he was, he said, man, I'm so scared. I don't want to go in there. And I froze him. I said, listen, man, we need to talk. I said, a lot of people like to pull gags on people and, you know, you see people getting robbed in the woods and stuff. I'm not the guy to do that to. I said, when I was 27, my dad was murdered because he was nice. I said, when it comes to things like this or me thinking someone's going to hurt me or my family, right. I, I'm not the one that's going to think twice. And I said, if you don't go in there with me, I got a friend that's going with me. And the guy kind of looked at me, and I walked back to my <laughs> truck, and it's like I always told you, Jim, I got my gun. You know, I, I've said every time, I've always got a gun with me. And I walked back up, Jim, and the guy said, listen, nobody's in there. He said, I said, well, listen, I'm going in, but this is, go he said, nobody's in there. Please tell me what you think. So I walk up the steps, and he opens the door. He has a key, and he puts it in and opens the door, and Jim, when this guy opened this house up, man, this thing was cobwebbed. The wallpaper was hanging down. The ceilings had rotted out. You could you could barely see a little bit of light in it. There was old furniture in it. There was a huge hallway with a room to the left, but the room did not have a door, Jim. It, you could have drove a car in that first room there. Uh. And down down to the end of it was two doors, and there was a door to the right. Now, Jim, when I tell you this, you may not want to use this because this has this has kept me quiet. My wife doesn't know about this. She will not hear this show. I will not tell her. Nobody local is going to hear this because this has stretched my 
belief in what can be shown to you. But anyway, I walked into the middle of the room, Jim, and there was one window in it, uh-huh. and it had high ceilings, sir, and the wallpaper, it came down from the top and the bottom, and it was just like hanging down, and there were spider webs all over, and there was, the window had like a back of sheet on it. Now, I'm standing up there, sir, and I had my gun, and over toward the fireplace, something walked out of the wall that resembled a person. It walks, out, it walks out of the wall. But now, Jim, let me explain this to you. When it came out of the wall, the wallpaper took form of its skin as if you would oh, wrap somebody man. in cellophane paper. Now, Jim, I'm sitting here, sir, and, and I've told you I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I, I'm as sane as I can be. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, okay, well, I know this ain't a gag. The person walks out of the wall, and Jim, I'm not going to lie to you, because when he, he bent down and tied his shoe and looked up at me and said, there's nothing you can do. Get out of this house. Ooh. And, and, and I'm sitting here kind of dumbfounded, like, there's nothing you can do. Get out of the house. And he turned around, and, and I wasn't threatened. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like I pointed my gun at him. I didn't feel like I had been in other places where I was at the point of being scared. When it turned around and walked into the wall, the whole wallpaper made a ripple effect. As if you took a drop of water in a bucket, and when the drop hits, and it, the whole wallpaper, he just went back in. And I'm sitting there, in a way, I'm like, you know, I should be scared. But in a way, the nerve of whatever this is, you know, to, to come and tie your shoe and then message me and walk back in. Yeah. And I, I yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of at loss for words now. Um, I turn around, Jim, and there is a window and the window's all covered with dirt from the road and everything and just the must in it. But you can see a little bit of light. Yeah. All of a sudden, Jim, when I'm looking at that window on that sheet lights, little teeny lights about the size of M&M's started spectruming, and they were going in all directions. It, it wasn't like it was going in a circle, in a way. And I looked at it a second, and what I did, I just grabbed it and yanked it off the wall, and when I did, what scared me to begin with, in these old houses, Jim, you have raccoons and snakes and possums and stuff that hibernate and sleep in these things. Well, a bunch of snakes had been up there and shed their skin. So when I Ugh. pulled that thing down, Jim, I got like six or eight snake skins on me. Ugh. And I'm sitting here certain that now these two things, this thing and the next one that I'm telling you, happened like bam, bam. When I pulled that down and the snake skin come off, I backed up and I was brushing the stuff off and I had the gun with me. I turned around, Jim, and looked toward the place where the person walked out of the wall. And what what the next thing was, if you've ever seen a thing like a spirit horse, like you watch Walker, Texas Ranger or something, when I turned around, a horse ran through the middle of the room right beside me. I'm six foot four. I didn't come up to the back of it. It was black. It was glistening. 
I could see the muscles of this thing. It wasn't walking, Jim. It was like if this horse was out in the middle of a pasture running as fast as it could, and it was brought to that building. It run past me, and I turned and looked, and I said, now, this is getting out of hand. Yeah, but it seems like something was trying to, like, keep ramping it up so you would leave. Well, yeah, it, it, it got to me. This, this, like I said, this is getting me to what I'm walking into. And when this thing passed me, Jim, it, like I told you, the, the room I was in did not have a door, sir. It, it had, it was up to the ceiling. This horse went right through when I'm looking at, like, look at this man. There's a, I mean, I'm seeing a horse, you know, and I said, and I walked out in the hall. It went down the hall toward that right door i told you i saw when it got to that door its head looked back at me and it motioned like jim if me and you were going somewhere and we were going in a door and you didn't say hey ryan let's go in the door you just cocked your head over it cocked its head over and it dissipated and i'm sitting here like okay well let's see what i've seen i've seen somebody walk out the door i've watched a curtain change colors i just seen a horse that made me look like a shrimp run through this house. Something's really wrong in here. And I, I look over at the door, Jim, because I'm still right there at the door where the boy let me in at. And the door was shut. And I thought about it a minute. I said, you know what? I, I'm not going back out. I'm in here. The gun ain't going to do me no good. I mean, what I've seen, Jim, I'm sitting in here and I'm still not scared. I mean, I, I'm mystified. My heart's beating, but but nothing has been thrown at me, or I don't feel like that way, Jim. So I put the gun down, sir, and like me, I walk down the hall, and I'm sitting there, and I'm breathing, and I come to the door, and the room that I went in, Jim, was totally dark. It had two windows and a fireplace, and like this guy said, whoever was in there just left. I mean, they had left years before, but there was stuff all over the floor. You could see old cups and stuff, old furniture. But there was nothing in that room, and I walked into the middle of the room, Jim, and um, this is when it gets hairy, sir. When I got to the middle of the room, I looked to the left, and I saw a narrow narrow passageway, Jim, Mm -hmm. that was so narrow, sir, when I actually walked through it, my shoulders were almost touching side to side, Jim. If I would have been, let's see three, four inches taller, I would have legitimately had to duck. It looked as if somebody had added on to this house back in the day, and they were not good carpenters. I mean, it, it was it was just that small of a tunnel. But, Jim, as I looked through there, you couldn't see in the room, but, sir, the only thing I could see was a glimmer of light. And it hit me. I said, there's no light in this house. You know, that there there is no light in this house. There was light coming in through cracks, but I saw something illuminating in that room. And, Jim, I'm telling you the truth, sir. This is what I saw. I mean, I, this is going to blow your page up. I'm going to be calling things. People's going to call me stuff. I walked in that room, and when I looked over to the right, what I saw, the first thing that I saw was an old table, and it was covered with spider webs there were one there was a man a woman two grown kids and a small kid around that table and they were eating 
Now, Jim, oh, there was man. a wire. Yeah, no, Jim. This, this is Jim. This, this is why I haven't told anybody. I'm, I'm being honest with you. No one will ever hear this again. I mean, I'm, I'm being honest with you, sir, because you ain't heard the best part of it yet. I'm sitting here, and they knew I'm. They knew that I was there. They were laughing and giggling, and when they were eating, Jim, and, and this is the bad part of it, I could see they had human body. I could see as they ate. They would put the food in their mouth. I could watch it go through their chin, down their throat, into their stomach. And I'm sitting here like, what in the name of God is going on here? They were laughing. They were giggling. And I'm sitting here like, what is going on? And all of a sudden, the big male stood up. And I would say he was seven foot four, seven foot five, and Jim, he was four times as wide as me, and he looked at me, and he said, we told you to get out of our house. There's nothing you can do, <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, um, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I, I don't know what I'm doing here, and he sits back down, and they're just doing what they're doing, eating, and they're holding the food up. And I walk around him, and Jim, this is a small room, so when I mean I walk around him, I was in arm-grabbing distance of this thing that could have squashed me like a grape. And um, I looked down between him and one of the kids, and what I saw shook me. What they were doing, there was a body, and they were eating a body as if me and you would pull pork pig. Oh, and gosh. They were, they, they were showing it to me as if they were laughing. They, I, What I got out, I mean, I have a feeling what happened, but they, it was like I was invited there to see what was going on. And the whole time, the female at the bottom had this look on her face as if you walked by a person of a statue of a Marilyn Monroe or a Jane Mansfield who just made you feel so uncomfortable. That they, you know what I mean, Jim? That they just had this look. Some women, you walk by and they, you, they can look at you and they just grab your attention. And she stared at me the whole time. And I could not see anything above the waist from where I was at. So I walked around toward her. And Jim, this is what blew me away. When I got to the end of the table, the face on that body was of that man out the yard. Oh, 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 man. Wow. Wow. And yeah, Jim, I'm sitting here. And at that time, everything went different. I went from not being scared to knowing that something I had been brought into something that I shouldn't even be into. And the big one stood up and said, get out of here now. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, man, my spine turned to jelly. I sit there and all of a sudden I was just like, oh, my God. And I'm thinking about this dude outside and I'm looking at his head here. And I, there, there's no way for me to get around whatever ungodly thing this was except walk within two to three foot of him. And I just walked back around the table and I'm looking up. And when I mean, I'm looking up, I'm looking dead up in the air at this thing. And he's, he's just 
smiling and snarling at me. And I backed out, Jim, because I never would look away. I was getting these sensations that all of a sudden I was going to be attacked or something. I backed out of the hall. I backed out into the hallway. I got to the door. The door was locked as if it was never open. And I took my foot and kicked it, got out of the house with the gun and went out in the yard and hollered. And Jim, there was nobody in the yard. Oh, man. Oh, there was man. no, uh, Jim, it gets better, sir. Now, now, you need to understand this. There was nobody in the yard. I got in my truck and I drove off the grass till I got to the dirt road so I could at least get away from the house. I was scared. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I was scared and mortified. And I, I looked around and I'm like, wait a minute. Somebody got me in this house. I'm 90 miles from my house. I don't even, you know, I don't know this house. I don't know what what has got me here. I know there was a person here, Jim, I'm a hunter. And I thought, I said, listen, he came walking down the dirt road. I can find his tracks where he walks, sir. You know what I mean? So, Jim, I walked on the dirt road. There was no tracks. Oh, that's weird. This I may be the weirdest shit. story we've had, Ryan. We've been doing this since 2009. This might be the weirdest story we've ever had, and we've had some weird ones. Jim, I drove my truck behind the house, and the road bottomed out to another house. And you can bet the sweet good Lord Ryan didn't go in that house. You know what I mean? I, I, I saw it because I was trying to come up with how somebody... Did I mean somebody got me there, Jim? I just didn't get up from my house and go down ninety miles, take a right, go to a house, and go through this. I turned my truck around, and the whole time I'm turning my truck around, I'm looking in the back, I'm looking in the windows, I'm looking here. I feel like something is going to attack me, and I'm not being um scary acting or nothing, but I just got this sensation that all. I mean, I had already seen these things manifest like that. I really thought something was going to manifest. I came back to the house and I looked again, Jim. I looked everywhere. I looked, nobody there. I got out to the highway and um, I drove down the road and I was literally um, gasping for air. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't really put it together. And that's why I will never tell this again. And if you think you can use it, sir, you can. But that's what happened, Jim. My wife, she'll never hear it. I'll never tell her. Because that was the most ungodliest thing I have ever seen with my own two eyes, sir. Well, that is frightening. And with your permission, we will use it. Absolutely. That is one of the most frightening campfire stories we've ever had, Ryan. Yeah, hopefully, Jim, I won't be calling no time soon, sir, because if anybody needs me, don't call my phone. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm being honest. I just I don't think I'll ever do any. I won't do that again. I've, I've never went to somebody's house like that. And from what, what I saw, I tried to explain it as good as I could. But it, it, at the end, it was pure tea. It was it was scary, sir. That's about all I can really say, Jim. Well, you're right. It is scary. 
<laughs> so we do appreciate you coming on the show, though, and uh, sharing this uh, very terrifying campfire story. Okay, thank you much, sir. Next up on the program is Dave. He is from the western part of the United States. And uh, I got to tell you, this is some story. Dave is a police detective, and he has a story. And I'm not even going to begin to tell you what I know about this story because it is very wild. And Dave, welcome to the program. I know you've been listening since around 2007, so thank you for that. And also thank you for your service. I think uh, many times we lose sight of the importance of folks in law enforcement. So thank you for everything you do. And, and tell us what happened. I appreciate that. I, uh, I've been uh, working in police for about eight years now. And uh, I came from back east and and I moved to a pretty large department out in the uh, um, mountain states out here. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was uh, just working on the road, and I was uh, working on graves. And typically graves, once it hits uh, around 1 or 2 o'clock, it's pretty dead. And that's the way it was. And I was sitting there car to car with my buddy, and we get a call, and it says, uh, dispatch says that there's a guy jumping from the overpass onto semi trucks and oh boy you know you, you get a lot of weird calls and typically something like that you're just like yeah whatever some guy jumping off of an overpass onto a truck and you know it's just stupid so we get there and of course there's nobody there and we're just kind of laughing we're looking down it's about 60 feet down to the ground we're shining our lights and i'm like i don't see anything and there's this little um little cost of bushes there to the edge mm -hmm. and I shine my light in it. And this, <laughs> this naked man jumps out of the bushes and he looks up at us and he outstretches his hand and he just screams this growl yell at us. And I can see his hands uh, almost to his elbows are covered in blood and he's got blood from his nose all the way down to his chin, just dripping and he's just screaming and he starts running toward the uh, bottom of the off uh, onto the on-ramp. And so we start Ooh. running down to the same direction to meet him. And my buddy gets to him first. He's a lot better runner than I am. And he grabs onto his arm and he starts swinging him in a circle. And later on, he told me, he says, well, I didn't want to touch him. I didn't have any gloves on. I didn't want to start wrestling with this guy covered in blood. And he's completely naked. Oh the guy's about 6'3", and he is actually a well-groomed-looking man. He looks either uh, Hispanic or Middle Eastern. I couldn't quite tell. But the whole time, he's growling at us. He's baring Ooh. his teeth, and he's biting over and over, just nah, 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 gnashing his teeth. And he swings him enough, and the guy lands on the ground, and I put, uh, put my knee on his back to try to hold him there, right. and I'm holding his arm. And my sergeant runs over and he's like, watch out, watch out. And he shines his light on the guy. And the guy is just defecating all over. And oh, Lord. It, I mean, it sounds disgusting, but honestly, it looked like some soft serve ice cream maker oh, was coming God. out. And it, <laughs> I'm sorry. I guy, just had to laugh. The guy, uh, it, it's like he didn't even notice. He just, he had this wild, really, uh, his eyes were really wide, look in his eyes, and just kept gnashing his teeth over and over. And I kept trying to talk to him, nothing. You know, it took about four of us. We got him in handcuffs. And uh, I, I turned him over. I looked at him. And the whole time I'm trying to examine him, he's trying to bite at him. He's twisting. And, That's frightening. Uh, 
Yeah, he never said a word. And I looked on his hands, I gloved up and I looked on his hands and he has no cuts on his hand. I said, oh, well, that's weird. And so I look on his mouth. Um, I had him hold him so I could open his lips and everything. And there's no cuts in his mouth. There's no cuts around his mouth. He had no injury. And I'm trying to figure out where this blood came from. So I walked over to uh, that those bushes and there was, I expected to find a dead body or something, but there was nothing there. Um, it was just really strange. And we were all pretty freaked out because it was just such a weird experience. And we kind of just left him there in the, in the ditch and he just stared at us and his mouth just kept moving up and down, gnashing his teeth. And so we called dispatch and tell them that we have one in custody. Our sergeant comes over to do an arrest check on it. And uh, highway patrol shows up and they never ride two men to a car. It's always, you know, each guy has his own right. car, but this car pulls up and there's two guys in it. And we, we work pretty close with highway patrol in that area. And I know all the guys because there's only, you know, two or three guys per the area. And then another stretch road, there's a couple guys and I know they're alternates and I had never seen these guys before and they were really rude, <laughs> which was really weird huh. too. And I'm like, oh, are you guys uh, going to take this? This is uh, since it's on the highway. They're like, yeah, we got it. We got it. They wouldn't talk to us after that. I'm like, ah, what a bunch of jerks. Right. And then an ambulance rolls up and they don't, they just, they don't even examine the guy. They go up there, they throw him on the little stretcher and they throw him in the ambulance. And I look up so I can get the ambulance number so I can put it in my report because I still have to do a supplemental report even though they're taking it. And there's no ambulance number. Oh, that's weird. Huh. And they drive off real quick. And the weird thing is, is I know all the ambulance guys in the area because they go to all the calls. Right. And there's someone injured. And I've never seen these guys either. So afterward, I'm <laughs> sitting there writing my report. And I'm like, this you know, just weird experience. And uh, I call up dispatch and I says, hey, I need you to give me the names of those two highway guys. Right. She says, okay, I'll call. And she calls highway and she calls back. She goes, well, highway says they never dispatched anyone. No one ever oh, showed up. Oh, it gets curiouser and curiouser, doesn't it? <laughs> so I was like, well, that's weird. We'll call, call the ambulance company and tell them to, uh, I need their ambulance number. And I call up that says they don't have any record of any of their ambulances showing up. Oh, uh, so I'm like, man. what the heck? <laughs> so I call uh, all around all the hospitals and none of them had any record of anyone showing up with similar injuries or being taken in by highway and this ambulance and, so I, I have no idea what happened. That is so weird, and and, and I just happen to wonder. And, and you're not saying this. I'm I, I'm I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I'm just wondering if there were any three letter agencies involved with any of this, or or maybe uh, some men in black or uh, <laughs> dressed up like a highway patrolman. That is just so weird. So this person was essentially acting like a zombie, and was right. picked up by people that were supposed to be. Uh, troopers and were supposed to be ambulance people, but it looks like they really weren't. Oh, that is so right. strange. That is so yeah, strange. I actually, uh, I asked some of my highway buddies about it and they were kind of freaked out. They're like, we don't have anybody that matches the description of those two guys. Um, yeah, I never found the guy's clothes. He was, he had no shoes, nothing, just covered in blood and well, well-groomed guy just looked crazy. And I actually, I took some pictures of it. So I have a uh, picture of the guy, but uh, wow. it was very strange. I got to tell you, that is one of the wildest, wildest stories I have ever heard on the campfire period. Bar none. 
And the thing is, is I've been doing this particular show since 2009. So you kind of think, ah, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. And right. now I could say I have not heard it all because I hadn't heard this. What a great story. And thank you for, thank you for sharing it because I know it's a, you know, a little tough when you're in the job that you're in, but we certainly appreciate it. We thank you for listening for all these years. And if uh, you ever come up with a solution, let us know. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Next up on the campfire is Anna, and she's calling from Alaska. But Anna <laughs> had worked uh, in Antarctica and when she discovered the shows. And I just think that's so cool to think that there's people listening to the campfire, which would seem to be a good thing, in Antarctica. And we're so glad to have her. Uh, she's going to tell us uh, a really interesting story, and we appreciate her time tonight. Anna, welcome to the program, and tell us your story. Uh, yeah, no problem. Thanks, Jim, for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so I guess we'll just dive right in. Uh, this is an incident that I had about a year ago, uh, and it's what many people would probably describe as a Wendigo or a skinwalker, windwalker. I guess it's called different things in different regions. Um, so uh, a little bit of background. I'm a contract worker who works summers in very remote parts of the world, uh, mentioned Antarctica, but I also work my summers in Alaska. Uh, these places are only accessible by boat or puddle jumper planes, kind of twin prop engine planes. Um, it's very hard to get there and it's also really hard to leave. Uh, so this was last summer that this happened. I was working at a salmon fishery, which is pretty... I'm just going to call it rustic. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty rustic place to live and work. Uh, there's very poor cell phone reception. The internet is non-existent. And you're kind of forced to just go back to how people lived back then. Um, so there's also a lot of death and kind of misery that surrounds an area like this, as it is understandably a really tough place to be in. Um, and up until recent years, anyone who works in the fishing industry can probably tell you is pretty unsafe uh, for a lot of different reasons, uh, mostly like, you know, safety regulations and stuff like that, only just recently being as good as they are. Um, the community surrounding the salmon fisheries mostly consists of a few year-round people native to Alaska and, of course, the fishermen. Um, and we contract workers are kind of how our days. is uh, structured up there we work every day seven days a week for about 16 and a half hours a day wow during the yeah <laughs> so for, from like april to august i work 16 hours a day non-stop every day until the uh until the completion of my contract so we do it for the money <laughs> but uh yeah, so so you can understand there's probably not much downtime, um, as you can imagine, but I did try to go outside for a walk every day after my shift just to kind of wind down. Uh, it really helped me. So this incident happened in the middle of my summer. I had just gotten off of work and decided to take a walk down by the docks that lead to the river where everyone fishes for the salmon. Uh, and at the shoreline where you go down, we're kind of the, the salmon fisheries up on the hill and then it goes down to the shoreline. It's extremely muddy. Uh, there's a lot of kind of grime and silt or muck, I guess is what I would describe it as. So you have to be really careful not to get sucked down into it um, with your boots. It's just you have to be very careful about where you step. Uh, it's also tidal because the river goes out to sea pretty close by. So the tide comes in, the tide goes back out. Uh, that also means it's especially dangerous to get stuck in the mud when the tide is coming in. 
So I was picking my way kind of through the junkyard that's behind the salmon fishery uh, where all the rest set out boats and equipment end up. Uh, it's around midnight, uh, but the lighting was very much kind of like twilight yeah. hour, like evening and dusk. It's because it was June, so Alaska, it, it doesn't get super dark until very, very late in Alaska. Um, so I could still kind of see around me. I was the only person there. Um, I had a very different schedule for most people. Everybody else was working. Um, as I was walking, I, I thought I kept seeing something out of the corner of my eye. Um, and I've never experienced anything paranormal in my life kind of, uh, and, and up until this point, I've, I've never considered myself a believer or anything like that. I'm pretty, pretty no nonsense. Um, so I kept brushing it off as just maybe being like a fox or right. an animal kind of rooting around in the junkyard, kind of trying to rationalize it. Um, and it was then that I heard a really strange sound. Um, and I still, you know, I tried writing in and trying to describe it, but the best way I can describe the sound is like a really wet kind of gurgling or gasping noise that a person would make when they're drowning. Um, and it was, yeah, it was sort of like someone was drowning, but in something thicker than water. Um, and it was followed by a really low moan, but it was a noise that I've I've never heard a living creature make, and I have worked in the veterinary industry, so I've also worked with animals, and I've heard what an animal that's dying sounds like when it's in pain, but this was like, it was like a person, Um, and I immediately turned around to where the sound was coming from, and I thought maybe someone had gotten stuck in the water. That was my first thought, like someone must have gotten stuck, but there was nobody there. Uh, And it was then that I realized that the sound wasn't coming from the water, but from the mud itself. That was a few yards in front of me. And something in the dark was moving around in the mud and it was struggling around like it was trying to get itself out of this muck. And it was it was making that awful noise. It was just it's still it makes it's making my eyes water right now just talking about it. Um, But so I, I froze. I didn't know what to do. Um, and I was really uncomprehending of what it was that I was exactly looking at. Um, and it, it really didn't feel like it was actually happening. Um, but this thing, whatever it was, it, it sort of looked human from what I could make out. It was covered in really thick, dark mud, but I could make out a head with some long hair kind of plastered against the skull. Um, huh. And it had like facial features, shoulders and arms that were stuck in the mud, but it was clawing out. It was like trying to get out and it had really long hands and it sort of looked like a woman at first glance. Like it was a woman that had gotten stuck and that was the first thought that I had. Um, But suddenly it, it went from clawing its way out to looking at me. It was like it swung its head towards me and I I froze and I didn't know what to do. Um, And it started crawling towards me and it started just heaving itself out. I don't know if it was able to walk at all. It was just kind of sliding towards me on its belly. Oh man. Um, Yeah. And I was, I was still kind of standing there, not really sure what to do. And it wasn't until I realized that it was five yards away from me that it had somehow heaved itself mostly out of the out of the mud and was was getting closer and so i 
naturally doing the thing I'm best at. I just turned around and I ran. <laughs> um, I don't blame I, you. Yeah. And so I got out of there as fast as I could. And I, I even caught my foot on the corner of a beam from, from one of like the hulls of the, of the boats as I ran and I, and I broke my toe. So like the fear is real. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so, um, after that, you know, I, I couldn't sleep very well for a few weeks after that. Uh, still get really scared when I think about it at night, it was kind of messing with my head. And, um, of course the first thought I had was, did I leave someone there to die? And so I was really nervous. I was really scared the next day. I went to the police there. I, I went to the um, sheriffs that go patrol that area and they hadn't heard any local reports of someone going missing or being recently deceased. Um, but that was the first thing I kind of grappled with. I was really scared that I'd left someone behind. Um, and but what scared me more was the next day in the mess hall, one of the fishermen that we feed, uh, he said in passing to someone that it looked like a bear or a moose or something had gotten stuck in the mud by the docks and made this huge mess and just had managed to kind of like, there were like claw marks all over the docks. So I knew that it wasn't just me. Um, and so wow. I spent the rest of that summer just really too scared to go back down there. That was actually the end of like my nice post-work walks. I was really freaked out. Um, and I kept thinking myself that it was somehow going to, whatever it was, was going to get into my dormitory room and, and just be there one night. Um, but, uh, it wasn't until the very end of the season, um, when a bunch of us were at a bar down the road, uh, once we finished our contract, um, that I heard a bunch of really drunk fishermen talking about how there's, uh, what they call wind walkers in most parts of Canada, the Yukon and Alaska. I had never heard of what a wind walker was before, but, They'd said that according to them, it was, there's like a really long history of people going missing in and around the area that we were in. And this dated all the way back to the early 1900s when people first settled there. Uh, People would go down to the water and, and they would just never come back. And one of the fishermen said that in the eighties, his girlfriend who worked at a cannery, she, she went missing. Uh, She just vanished and all of her things were left behind. Um, now, normally it's, it's pretty common for one or two people to just get up and go because the, the work is really difficult sure. to, yeah. And so, so everybody like, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for someone to just go, but to leave all of her things behind, of course, he was immediately, uh, and initially suspected of being involved somehow like that he was involved in her disappearance, but he did have a really solid alibi at the time. Uh, he had been working on the boat itself out on the ocean for like two weeks straight. So obviously he couldn't have done anything. Um, and at the time of her disappearance. So a few months later, he's still working there. Um, and he was on the boat, uh, it was around dusk. So this was after the season was over, but he was still fishing. Um, he, he, he saw her, he saw his girlfriend that had gone missing a few months before. And he saw her on the shoreline. He spotted her standing knee deep in the mud naked and and just staring at him. But he said that there was something really wrong with her, that she looked completely emaciated and that there was like what looked like dried blood around her mouth and that she held out a hand to him. And um, there was something like wrong with her movements kind of like they were really jerky and just not herself. And he said, you knew right away that whatever this thing was, it wasn't her. 
no matter how much you look like her. And he even called out to her and she just, she didn't respond. Um, and so this guy was pretty drunk when he was talking, but it, it just matched up so closely with what had happened earlier that summer that I, I listened to him and I, I had not told a single person about this. This was something that had just happened to me and had it not been for my broken toe, I would have really thought to myself like, Oh, maybe I just had a really messed up nightmare. Um, but he, he went on to say that windwalkers are, are also known as like skinwalkers or windigos and they're found all over North America and, uh, Native American and Alaskan legends differ, but a lot of people thought that people who resorted to cannibalism became Wendigos and there's other myths that claim that they were like creatures that were demonic and evil spirits and um, they were constantly starving and so they took the form of its previous victim and it moved on to try to find another one and he was convinced that this thing had taken his girlfriend and and was trying to to go after someone else um, and it just sounds so crazy when I say it, <laughs> wow. um, but, uh, other fishermen apparently had similar stories of people they knew who went missing and turned up sometimes weeks or months later trying to lure them in. And arguably that's kind of the, the most frightening thing to me is that it, it's just one of those things that happens up there, but no one really talks about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I partially called into the show cause I was just kind of curious to see if anybody else has been uh, through this up there because I am going back to Alaska in about a week and I'm going to a different part. And I'm not going to lie to you, like a really big reason why I'm not going back to that place. Um, I'm going to like completely different areas because I'm too scared to go back to that fishery. I, I really hope that wherever I'm going, it doesn't have this thing, whatever it was. I got to tell you, I don't blame you a bit. You're a very brave woman, much braver than I am. And wow, I, I just didn't say a lot because that is, I've got to say, now you you wouldn't know this, but uh, this is going to be on our April, what would it be, April 11th show. We're recording this on April 3rd. And that'll be our 10th anniversary show. And I've got oh, to wow. say that this story ranks I would say in my top five stories ever on the campfire. I just, uh, just a mind blowing, mind blowing story in terms of others who have experienced that. I cannot recall specifically anybody saying that they have, but certainly if anybody out there has experienced a uh, frightening encounter with one of these wind walkers, please do call in and, and let us know because Anna, my goodness, that is just terrifying. And I don't, I don't blame you at all changing where you're going to work. In fact, I would, (laughs) I don't even know if I'd go in the state again. So you're a very brave, very brave woman. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm doing it for the money, but also uh, just because it's, I mean, hopefully it won't stop me in the future, but it just kind of opens my eyes up to, to what else could be out there. I, I don't even want to think about like what's in the Antarctica. If I go back down there, I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories, but I don't like thinking about that either. So until well, I see it, well, we'll I, see. I hope wherever you go, you'll keep listening. And I want to thank you and stay safe out there. And uh, just uh, so cool. Such a cool story and a cool person, cool kind of, you know, it's like a, sounds like a reality show, you know, kind of to follow, but they should do that. They should take a crew for people who go to the Antarctica and in places like Alaska and follow them uh, when they do these very important jobs. Uh, Anna, thank you so much for being a part of the campfire.
Thanks, Jim. Have a good night. SP is on the line from the great Western states of America and so glad to speak with him today. He listens to the show with his daughter, Ava. So Ava, hey, thank you for listening with your dad. And SP has a story, a camping story that goes back when he was 11 years old. Very interesting indeed. SP, welcome to the show. Thanks. I love the idea that you listen with your daughter. Uh, Family affair. I love when families listen together to the campfire and can't wait until you can share your story. So please tell us what happened. Hey, thanks, Jim. Yeah, Ava and I certainly enjoy uh, whenever we're on a road trip listening to the show. This story goes back uh, about 50 years. And uh, I was 11 years old at the time. During the summer, my parents decided it would be a good idea. A lot of my friends at the time were doing things like summer camps. Uh, <laughs> but my mom and dad decided it'd be a good idea for me to go work on. Uh, we had some friends that lived uh, about a thousand miles away and they owned a dairy farm. And they thought it'd be a good idea for me to go work on the farm for the summer. And uh, so when I got out to this farm, our friends had a son that was about my age. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll call him D. And it was interesting back in the mid seventies when I got there, I remember I got to the farm and I turned the, the TV on and D said, Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> this was back before satellite and even cable TV. And, and he goes, yeah, we don't really watch TV out here. So, uh, <laughs> learned very quickly. Uh, you know, we'd get up in the mornings around four in the morning and milk cows and, and did significant work, you know, more work than I'd ever done in my life. And did a lot of things like feed the animals, scrape manure, and, and we actually did quite a bit of farming too. And when I say farming, moving irrigation pipe. And wow, uh, we were done with the day typically around two o'clock. And uh, we'd do a lot of things like hunt and fish and uh, even ride motorcycles and stuff. So, long story short, not a lot of time for uh, TV and that kind of stuff. But what I did learn very quickly was, uh, although this family, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say I brought humor into the situation and they certainly brought a stoicism. There wasn't a lot of silliness out on the farm, but Dee and I became fast friends and we worked the entire summer, did a lot of things like swimming in, in reservoirs and lakes. And at the end of the summer, they gave us the opportunity, uh, the parents did, to, to go camping. And the fun thing about this camping trip was that it was just going to be Dee and me. And so when the time came, it was the weekend before my mom and dad were going to pick me up. Dee and I packed up fishing gear. Uh, I had a 22. He had a 30-30. I mean, probably in this day and age, you wouldn't hear that type of thing. But back then it was like, all right, we'll see you guys in a couple of days. And uh, so we hiked and we hiked and hiked. And uh, and one of the exciting things, he, he mentioned that some of his friends were going to join us. And this was the year before I was going to go into what at the time was called junior high school. I think now they call it middle school. But we got out uh, after hiking for, for hours and going up switchbacks to a mountain lake. And uh, it was at this lake that we set up our camp. We had an old army surplus tent and we set things up and, and it was amazing. I mean, you could see 20 feet to the bottom of the lake. And we just did our own chores, fish, cooked and that kind of stuff. It, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I remember I was cleaning up the camp and I heard a noise. and it intrigued me because we were out in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden I, I see this, it, it was a loud, peculiar noise. And uh, I saw a gentleman drive up and uh, he had, I'm not sure what it was, a Jeep, but it was so loud. And as he approached me back in the day, you wouldn't, you know, 
when you were a kid, you just treated every adult with respect. And I said, hello. And, you know, when you hear the questions he started asking me, obviously it set off red flags. And now when I think about it, it even scares me the kind of questions he was asking me. But back when I was 11, I, I just uh, answered. What, what kind of stuff was he asking you? He's like, hey, are you out here by yourself? Oh, that sounds reassuring. And, uh, you know, I, and I was proud of camping, you know, with my buddy. And I go, no, it's just me and my buddy. And he goes, oh, good. Do you, uh, does anyone know where you are? Oh, man. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he was asking me questions. And I, I remember getting a little bit nervous. And uh, I'll never forget behind me, I heard D chamber around in his 30-30. And uh, he told me to get behind him. And so I did. And uh, D told him to move on. And I'll never forget the guy said, that's not very hospitable. And uh, D said, you need to leave right now. And he didn't point the weapon at him at all, but uh, it was certainly ready. It was implied. <laughs> right. And so uh, the guy backed away and, and drove away. And I remember going, man, that, that was odd. And D, and D said, hey, he, yeah, anyway, he needs to get his muffler fixed. And I said, what, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, he's got a hole in his muffler. That's why it's so loud. And I was like, okay, wow. And so, uh, you know, we continued, uh, you know, fishing and camping. And we were hoping that night that some of his friends were going to join us. And uh, so later that night, and this was Saturday evening, uh, as it was dusk, uh, Dee went out to gather some firewood. And uh, I, I was at the fire. And uh, it was just about dusk. And I... To this day, I can picture this so clearly. And we were, you know, there was a ridge above us, the lake, and, and it went down into a couple different valleys and so forth. And uh, I looked and just out of the firelight was a boy. And I'm not sure I saw him crying, but I knew he was sad. And I said, it's okay. And, and I go, we, we've been waiting for you. It's, it, everything's okay. And I, I said to come on in, but he didn't. And he raised his fingers to his lips as, as if to tell me to be quiet. Hmm. And then he pointed and, uh, D came in and he said, who are you talking to? And I go, Hey, your friends are here. And he goes, Oh, great. Where? And I, and I pointed to where they, you know, we approached where, where they were. And, uh, th this guy disappeared. I'm not saying it, you know, I could see through him, but I said he was right here. And he said, well, what? And, and he called out to his, you know, and nobody answered. And he said, well, what did he do? And I said, he told me to be quiet. And he pointed. And he said, where did he point? And he pointed down to this ravine. And D went over to the ravine. And he told me to be quiet. And he said, do you hear that? And we listened. And we could hear this gentleman's vehicle. And it was probably more than a mile away. But you could hear the distinct sound of this guy's muffler. And uh, D told me to pack up. So we packed all our stuff up. We left the tent and the fire burning and we went up to this ridge and we just waited. And uh, I said, what are we doing? He goes, we're just going to play it safe. And so we uh, waited on this ridge. And sure enough, uh, maybe a half an hour later, maybe 20 minutes later, this guy entered our campsite. Ugh. And I could hear him talking. I couldn't make out the words, but I knew he thought we were in the tent and he went over to the tent and he talked to it and D just raised his finger to his lips and told me to be quiet. And then you could tell the guy, the guy opened our tent and looked inside. 
Oh, geez. And then he came out and he yelled into the night sky. He goes, I just want to talk to you guys. Come here. We didn't say a word. And to this day, it chills me to the bone. This guy became enraged and he yelled that he would find us and he kicked our fire and the logs flew and sparks went up into the night and uh, demotioned for me to quietly go down the back way. And we walked that night back to his house for must have been five or six hours. And we didn't we didn't talk a lot during the time. Again, I mentioned he was very stoic. And I just said, D, what? I tried to talk and he goes, let's just get home. And uh, I said, who was that guy? And he goes, I don't know, but he didn't belong there. And I go, was that one of your friends? And he goes, it wasn't one of the guys I go to school with, but he was a friend, the guy that pointed. So we walked that night and we got back to his house. We went to bed. We woke up and he asked me not to say anything. So I didn't. But it's always stayed with me. My mom and dad picked me up. And back in those days, you didn't really call each other. So when we said our goodbyes, we just kind of had a knowing of what had happened, but we never really talked about it. And he since uh, long passed away, but that story's always stayed with me. It's a bit of a mixture of a very creepy story, might be a ghost story, and it's certainly a bit of a head scratcher. It definitely is. So you think that whoever that was pointing was warning you and, and that it may have been some kind of a spirit. I do think so because we certainly didn't see him afterwards. And when I talked to him about, I was very excited to see him. I thought he was a friend. I told him to come here. He wouldn't get any closer. And that one thing that always stays in my mind is how sad he was. For some reason, I'm not sure I saw him crying. I don't know why I knew he was sad, but I knew he was extremely sad. Yeah, that certainly seems like that guy coming back. And who knows, maybe this time he had a gun and uh, he seemed uh, certainly not very trustworthy. Who knows what he was up to. So, uh, wow. I think you guys uh, really narrowly uh, and your friend being so, you know, (laughs) wise for his years too. you know, probably that kind of upbringing kind of gave him some smarts and and uh, he knew what to be careful of and how to conduct yourself, even though he was just a little bit older. I, I mean, that's uh, pretty good, pretty good friend he had there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we never really talked about it afterwards, but uh, there was always a bit of a knowing. And I, I think part of the reason he didn't want to talk about it was I'm not sure his parents would have given him the freedom that he enjoyed. Right. But he was very wise. So. A fun story that's always stayed with me. Well, SP, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, thanks again to Ava for listening, your daughter. It's always great to hear families listening together. And thanks again for being a part of the campfire with a great story. Thanks, Jim. Bye-bye. Well, our next caller is T.I. from Michigan. She is a new listener. I believe her daughter introduced her to my programs. I'm so grateful not only to gain a new listener, but folks, um, I've talked to T.I. about this story, and I've got to tell you, uh, if you're the person who scares easily, turn on a light. If you have a significant other, hold on to them, because you're going to hear one of the best campfire stories we've ever had. And I'm really excited about it. T.I., welcome to the program. Tell us about the Roadhouse Saloon, because it's apparently quite a mysterious place. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for calling. Um, I, it was, it was a, a 
let me start again. It was this. This took place up in way northwest, um, in way in the Northwoods. In Wisconsin, and my friend right? and I, in Wisconsin, yeah, way up north there. We were we have a family place over that way, and my friend and I had been. Um, we'd gone to see a band play that was about an hour, maybe a little bit further away from where we lived. And we were going to listen to the music, and then I was going to talk to the musicians about finding some gigs or something for the following winter. They were friends of his. And so we stayed till the band stopped playing and then visited with them a while. Well, as we were driving back, um, uh, that long dark night, was, it was one of those nights where it, there was no moon, where the moon set really early. And up in this area, I don't know if you've ever been in really pitch darkness. Yeah. But the only light is the stars. There's no ambient light. There's no cities or towns anywhere for miles and miles um, where we were driving. And it was the only light was our headlights. And as we were driving along, along, um, nature started to call. And we needed a place to stop and use the restroom. Well, there is no place to stop to use a restroom. And we were thinking maybe there will be a all-night gas station or something, but there was nothing. My friend could have stopped and pulled over in the woods, but I walk with canes, and I was not able to, to do that. So I'm like, mm-hmm. keep going, just drive fast. So as we turned down the last highway that we were going to head just a little bit south, we were about a half hour, maybe a little bit more from home. And right as we turned there, like a beacon in the darkness, was the Roadhouse Saloon. And it had the bright neon lights, you know, with the beer signs in the windows. Sure. And the big neon, neon, you know, Roadhouse Saloon signs. Like and something out of a movie. Like something out of a movie. Just like out of the movies, yep. And this is like 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, there's bars don't usually stay open that late. But we yeah, I thought 2 o'clock is typically most places closing time, but... That's right, but this was this was way late past closing time, and we we saw it there, and I said, just stop, pull in, and I'll use the restroom and stay for a little while. And Bob at this point um, said that he was glad it was open because he's an artist, and and I'm an artist too. And there was a mural that he knew about and he'd heard about at this place, uh, a painting, and so. We got into the into the parking lot, got out of the car, and when we opened up the bar door, there were all the people in there. There were probably eight, maybe ten, I don't know, folks in there. It wasn't it wasn't like two or three. There were at least eight people in the bar. And everybody instantly turned to us and said, Hi, come on in. Now the bartender was this big, burly, muscular guy with one of those skinny strap t shirts and um just a white t shirt and tight jeans and big strong arms and he's leaning on the bar and just grinning at us and, and sitting it was one of those bars that is like a horseshoe shape and there were yeah. a couple three women sitting on, on one side um and they were drinking they had their drinks thrown they just looked at us and grinned and, and the guy closer to us was a younger guy and he gets up and he's got his glass in his hand and he says, Come on in, come on in and he smiles and he's got these kind of nasty brown stained Peace, like he's smoking and drinking, it's all over. It's kind of gross. But, uh, and, and so I just looked at Bar Bob and he said, uh, order a couple of beers. I'm going to the ladies' room. So I went right into the, into the restroom. The light was off when I got there. I flipped the light on. And when I got in there, something, you know, I used the bathroom and as I washed my hands, I noticed that there were no paper towels in the bin. 
and that the bathroom was like spotless clean that it hadn't been used. Now, this is like 3 o'clock in the morning, and these women sitting at the bar looked like they'd been there since probably 6 or 8 o'clock. And my first thought was, ew, <laughs> they've been here all night and they've washed their hands. And then I thought, well, maybe they're closing up and not cleaned up, but, you know, so I just poo-pooed that and, and came out. And, and we sat, Bob had Ken, Disney, and my friend, and, and we walked over toward the mural. And as we passed, they said, beautiful old shoebox that was one of those round-topped ones. Oh, yeah. Old-fashioned one. And it had records in it. And um, 45 records. And sitting at a table were two guys that were playing cards, maybe three. And then there were a couple of guys playing pool at the pool table. And as we passed them, nobody was talking. It was just quiet in place. They just kind of watched us. And we walked over and looked at the mural, and we were talking about it. And um, it was really interesting. It was it was painted like like the set would be painted on a on a stage. So things like faded out at the side, and and it was real sharp towards the center and in places. And as we were looking at it, I looked at the. It was a scene out of a western saloon. And there was a table with people playing cards, and there was a billiard table and everything. And as I looked at the painting of the people playing cards, I looked back over to the two guys playing cards at the table, and it was them. It was their faces. It was Ooh. them. They were in cowboy costumes, but it was them. And I said, Bob, look at that. That's those guys. He goes, and he said, do, 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 do. He said, yeah, they probably, you know, it's probably their family or something. Of course, the artists would paint the people that frequent here. These people are obviously regulars. So we were just looking at me finding everybody else in the bar. You know, we spent the time with the ladies. We found the bartender was not the bartender. He was the cowboy over in the corner. And, you know, just all this, the people, every single person in that bar was in that mural. So then we decided that, oh, then the, the younger guy goes up and goes to the jukebox and flips put the record on and it was let's twist again like we did last summer yeah chubby chubby checker yes chubby checker yep and he, and I, yeah, I love that kind of stuff and and he comes up to me and he says hey you want to dance and i he was kind of funky you know so so i pointed to the game and i said sorry i i can't dance i i apologize and and he just kind of teeters off. And that was the first, you know, other than hello that anybody said. But the record played again. And then we were looking. We we finished our beers. And we thought, well, let's have one more. And, and then we head out. And we were going to look at the records on the jukebox again. Ordered another beer. Sat at the bar for a little while. And the people across didn't talk to each other. They didn't talk to us. You know, we tried to, like, engage them in conversation, saying, you know, what can you tell us about the mural? Is this... Who painted this? Is you, did you, are you guys in this mural? And they're just kind of smiling at us, nodding like they didn't speak English or something, or we were speaking a foreign language or something. But there was just like no response to our questions to them. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we thought, okay, well, whatever, you know, we're up north. And um, <laughs> we took our, took the, like, had like an inch or so left in the beer and went back over to the mural to, to look at it some more to give herself something to do, and as we got there, as we were walking up, in the center of the mural were those old-fashioned swinging doors into the saloon, like in, you know, 60s television, westerns, and as we got closer, we saw, like, the shadows or outlines of people in the doorway yeah. um, coming in, and we hadn't noticed that when we looked at it before, 
and it was just starting. It was like they were they were shadow, but it was in grays. But there was some color starting to, like like the artist had started to paint some color in to give the illusion of somebody coming toward inside. And as we got closer, I just grabbed a hold of Bob's arm and I said, "Oh my God, look at that!" And the two figures. Now I told you I walk with a cane, and I was wearing a longer skirt and right. my boots. And as the female that was directly in front of me, mirrored, looked exactly like me. It was a woman with a longer skirt, with a belt that I had, and a, and a cane, and curlyish hair. The guy standing next to her looked exactly, you know, the height difference. It, it was us. It, it looked exactly like us. And I said, oh, my God, that's us. And Bob said, let's get the blue body here. And we just set our beers down. And we went as fast as we could to the door. And as we started to leave, everybody just kind of stood up like, wait, where are you going? And we got out the door. And the door closed behind us. And instantly, it was pitch, utter blackness. Wow. Those neon signs that had been lit up, were, there was no light. I just froze because it, I, I was afraid I would fall, not being able to see. And, and my friend said, I'll stay there. I'll go turn on the car lights so that you could see where we are. But it was completely black. There was, the windows were still there. But the neon signs, everything was off. There were no cars in the parking lot at all. We got in the car, and we just sped out of that parking lot, spinning up stones behind us. And as we were driving down the road, we were like, what was that? What what happened? And we the more we, we talked about it, we were like freaked out, you know, people disappear all the time. They uh-huh. found our car in the parking lot and we wonder what happened to us, you know, we'd be on America's, you know, most wanted or whatever. I don't know. So when we got back, my sisters and family the next morning we told everybody this story. And they're like, Yeah, right, you're right. But it was clear that we were freaked out. Well, I, I would think so because I would have the feeling, geez, I would think it's one of those things where, you know, uh, my feeling would be if I would have stayed there, would I have somehow been captured and, and put into that, that, that painting? That's, how we felt. That's right. That's how we felt. We felt like if we'd have not noticed that color defining itself, you know, it started, we didn't notice it at first. There, I don't even know if there was a gray shadow of people in the doorway when we first looked. Because we were looking for everybody, and I think I would have noticed the shadow of a woman with a cane in the doorway. And and I didn't notice it then, and, and it looked like there was color starting to grow in it, you know? And it like it was an unfinished mural. Um, I th- I don't know. Maybe they were trapped there, and oh, I I have no idea what happened. I I have no idea what that could have been. But the next day, or a couple days later, after telling my sister every, we took a field trip up there, right? And went there not late at night. We went there when it was still open, and the mural was still there, and the same faces in the mural. And I went up. The bartender was this young woman, and I said, "Hey, where's the other bartender?" And she said, what other bartender? And I said, the other night I was here and there was a young guy, big, you know, funny looking guy. And she says, I know, me and my dad are the only bartenders here. Oh, my gosh. And the other people weren't anywhere there. At the mural was there. There was nobody in that swinging doorway. And the jukebox, <laughs> was a jukebox with CDs. It did not have. Oh, my gosh. See, and nowhere a... on the jukebox was um, 
was twist let's again. twist again or anything. yeah now okay so do you think that you walked into some kind of weird time warp i you know i have no idea like i said i'm very i'm sensitive to ghosts i've been experienced um haunting since early childhood grew up in a haunted house and and have am very sensitive i have friends that when they're going to rent buy a house or rent an apartment ask me to come and and read it and see if it's going to be bad energy or not and so i'm really sensitive to that and i picked up nothing in that place i when i walked in i none of the you know for me i get this like butterflies in my stomach and kind of the i can feel it in different places in my body. It's like a physical feeling, almost like a smell. Um, that intense, that pungent kind of sense that you know something is there that you can't see. Nothing like that. I had no inkling what was going on. I was completely blindsided. I have no idea what it was. Maybe somebody who's listening knows something about um, if, if those kinds of things happen to anybody wow. else or, or if there are places that where these things happen? Yeah, I, I, I know that's a little bit longer. That, that this TI has been a little bit longer than our typical story. But my goodness, uh, what a story it is! I, I hope that other folks out there will be able to maybe give some potential uh, some potential uh, explanations. And my goodness, what a what a what a great experience, though! What a great story to have to tell. You know. Well, thanks. I just, it was, I, we really felt like we got out of there within seconds of not getting out of there. Yeah. It was something. Yeah. So. Well, I'll tell you, there you go. Well, I thank you so much for joining us tonight on the campfire. Boy, was that a great story. Thank you so much. I know in our correspondence, you have to get up early and you deserve a good night's rest after telling us and sharing such a great story. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Campfire, whether you're brand new or you've been listening for years. A couple of notes. First of all, a huge thank you to each and every one of our storytellers, whether their story made it into a book or in a best of show or simply just the one time that they came on and told their very true, their very real story, their personal experience. And we're really that vulnerable because it takes a lot of guts to come on the show and kind of spill your guts and and tell us what happened. And we appreciate that trust that folks have given us over the years. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you to our sponsors. Without our sponsors, we could not make this a full-time concern, which we've been able to do since 2012. Also, thank you to all of our Plus Club members. Uh, Really, we couldn't do what we do in the same regard. The sponsors and the Plus Club members go hand-in-hand, make this a full-time business. So thank you so much for that. And uh, again, just thank you for listening. I really appreciate it because uh, you got a lot of podcasts to choose from and you chose this one. And I guess one of the favorite things that we talk about on this show are synchronicities. And I'll give you one that just occurred to me in the last 10 or 15 minutes as I record this. Now, you may have seen on social media, I just mentioned, announced it, that I'm going to be moving from my home of 24 years, still staying in the northeastern Ohio area, but moving. And uh, I sat down today to record this, and I realized going forward, we're going to be recording these in a new studio, a new spooky studio. So this is the last recording in this, the original spooky studio. 
it's been good to us. I'm looking around, and it's kind of got 50s-style paneling. It's something like you would have seen in Mad Men. Uh, maybe not acoustically the best, especially now since everything's out of it and it's kind of echoey. Don't worry, the new studio is going to have the full sound treatment and all the fun stuff. But it's really been good to me. And I'm looking around and I'm just saying thank you to the Spooky Studio. And we'll never forget you recorded a lot of shows here, uh, did a lot of podcasting and and built uh, a business that has supported my family and given me a whole lot of joy. And I hope it's given you a little bit of joy too. But the good news is this is just the start. We plan on doing this for many, many more years to come in the new Spooky Studio. We'll talk to you next week on that note with some all new stories around the campfire. Thank you all so much. And thank you, Campfire. As always, stay safe and stay spooky. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Jim Harold's Campfire. Tune in again next time for more stories of ordinary people who have experienced extraordinary things. <laughs>